Hello and welcome to the One About Podcast, the show where we dive into a different topic each week. This week we are embarking on a journey to a galaxy far, far away as we begin our rewatch of all nine main Star Wars films. This is the one about Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. I'm your host, Dean. I also go by Endless Cola in places around the internet. And this week, I am joined, as usual, by Jordan. Hey. And by our special guest, John. What's up? <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Good. Teddy going Grams great. and beer. So. Teddy Grams and beer. Breakfast of champions. Mm-hmm, like a big boy. <laughs> so what you guys been doing this week, man? Like... With everything going on, we don't have a whole lot of uh, entertainment options, but besides what we uh, obviously watched for this week's episode, what are you guys watching? What are you guys playing? What are you guys reading? Finally beat Final Fantasy VII Remake. Took you Uh, long enough. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, Working, living. Uh, 51 hours, finally beat it, max level. Uh, I look forward to talking to you about the, uh, the ending. That'll be a good mm. conversation, <laughs> but that's pretty yeah, much I been just, my life. I just started that, so I mean, I'm like 12 hours in, and I didn't just mm-hmm. start it, but yeah, I'm a ways away from that ending. What about you, John? Um, I've been replaying uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, been a way better experience than when I originally played it on the Wii U, um, and also getting into a lot of old ps2 games capcom versus sk2 came this week which i was really happy about but uh ran into a little bit of a roadblock when it came to the ps2 controller my old one does not work frayed wires had to find a replacement and uh long story short i am not happy so that sounds like it would have been a blasty blaster in this quarantine yeah it would have been if i had like a decent controller no i meant finding a new controller yeah, um, a lot of the retro gaming controllers uh, options are just bad, and you realize how much time and effort were into the, put into the originals. But that's a topic for another time. You know what's funny about that though is like I've realized recently that the quality of third-party controllers and accessories has gone way, way up over the years. It's not like the old Mad Cats days. Oh, no. God. It's super not. Like, <laughs> third-party controller was a dirty word back in it the was. day. It legit was. Um, but, like, what's really funny is, like, now when I'm, like, well, the peripherals that I'm looking for is, like, DDR game pads and, like, uh, PlayStation 2 controllers. Like, they're only made by third parties, and either that or you have to go to a retro gaming store and hope you get lucky. Speaking of which, like, have you gotten a DDR pad and got it to work on your TV? Yes, I've gotten a DDR pad, gotten it to work, but I needed to go through a whole rigmarole. I remember we had this conversation when I borrowed uh, my friend's PS3. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm stupid. I don't remember anything. Refresh me. So I wanted to play DDR, got the bug, borrowed my friend's backwards compatible PS3, uh, ran into an issue with uh, it not recognizing the game controller with the adapter. Mm. So I needed to buy three different types of adapters. Uh, the third one worked perfectly plug and play, no extra drivers, no extra work like that. But then had to w- worry about the latency issues, 
because the PS3 uses HDMI, so how to use component. And then the gamepad wasn't registering as, as well as it should through the adapter. So literally, I just went, fuck it, and bought a PS2. And everything worked perfectly fine after that. You don't have any issues with, like, input latency on a modern TV? Um, No, because with the PS2, I put it through component, uh, the RGB mm-hmm. cables, and everything works perfectly fine especially since the DDR developers were really smart back in the day and you could change the speed at which the arrows go across the screen to match any latency that you will be dealing with. Mm, I see. Yeah, I don't even have a... Well, that's that's a lie. I have one TV that can uh, still accept a component input, but that TV is the one that's down in my bedroom that got smashed a little uh, while ago. Yeah. So... Yeah, some TV, some TVs compensate for it. Like they have game modes and stuff like that. But I mean, I know even on game mode for a number of my um, titles, like especially Switch. Like for some reason, I can tell on Switch if I have the Switch docked to my to my Sony on game mode, there is a noticeable lag in input between me using like the actual Pro controller on my couch versus having it handheld and the um, just on the console itself. Yeah, there's definitely a lag. Do you really notice? I, I mean, I played a lot and I haven't noticed at all. You know why I noticed it? It's, it's, it's for an, an unglamorous reason. But I can't um, wait. In, in Animal Crossing, of course. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something that really depends on direct inputs and, and speedy uh, reactions. Um, when music is playing, you can play instruments along with the music. So it's it's just a little cheeky. It's fun. It's cute and when you tap a you strum the instrument and reg- like uh, depending on the song that's playing you can actually play along with it well i was using the pro controller with the switch docked on my tv and i'm like i'm tapping a why am i off time it was driving me nuts so i had to like tap a earlier i felt like old uh I felt like it was uh, um, like Guitar Hero days, like before, like like if you didn't sync up your Guitar Hero oh, yeah. uh, controller and everything, you know. And but when I took the switch out of the dock and I had it handheld mode, it was perfect. It was an immediate reaction. The latency was not there at all. And I was like, wow, of all games, I wouldn't think I would find this out on Animal <laughs> Crossing, but cool, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. You know what's funny is like the last time that I had an issue with that was actually when I was playing through Super Mario RPG and you get to that one um, that one race that you do against Boshi uh, that's all like it's it's like a rhythm minigame. Um, I was getting so frustrated trying to get this stupid Yoshi to run correctly. And this blue Yoshi is just taunting me the whole time. (laughs) I was like, listen, dude, stud necklaces have been out of fashion since before they were invented. You go to hell. <laughs> also, just as a side note, like I, w- I just came back from Target on my way uh, home before we started. And uh, I was like, man, I'm, I'm really kind of hungry. I'm just going to stop and get some McDonald's really quick because I hate my I hate my own health and want to make it even worse. Uh-huh. But you dude. Chicken chicken McNuggets are so good. Like fresh what? hot chicken McNuggets are so good. Oh, oh my god! Mm, I, I mean, McDonald's chicken McNuggets are 
up there, but I would say the one that beats him out is between Dairy Queen and Burger King. Bro, Dairy wow. Queen with the with the country gravy is fire. That basket is so good, and it comes <laughs> with like the Texas toast. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am. Oh, far you off can actually of either of your you spectrums. can actually get it with biscuits now, like Jesus. chicken and biscuits. Oh. Where's that's, the love for Chick Fil A? Where's the love for Chick Fil A chicken nuggets Chick-fil-A, in the trash where it belongs? Chick Fil A is super overrated. Just yes, like In and Out. I'm sorry, people hype both those places up way too much, and it's not even that good. I'm sorry. All right, well, this, this was a good episode, guys. Uh, <laughs> thank you for. <laughs> and that's how we lost to co-host. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I like Chick Fil A. Uh, chicken, I but I agree. It's just way overhyped. It's it's good, but it's not a godsend to chicken like some people make it out to. Be. I don't eat that much fast food, so maybe um, I've got a very small pool. It's been years since I've had other chicken nuggets from different establishments, so maybe they've gotten better. I don't know, bro. Like all respect Added. in the world, but you're a straight weirdo when it comes to food. <laughs> yep. I draw like, weird lines in the sand. You're just like, I'm not going to eat any fast food. Well, I mean, Chick-fil-A, but like no other fast food. <laughs> well, I mean, like as I've reintroduced fast food, there's been reasons as to why I've had my hands tied behind my back and been forced to eat it. And then like with me, I'm good at stopping things cold turkey. But if I reintroduce it at all, then like the system of justification that goes on in my mind is complex and overwhelming. So I just continue to eat it. <laughs> I'm, I'm like you. I'm like you in that respect, though. Like I can quit anything cold turkey and just never touch it again but if i break that and put any of it back in like forget it we're just going whole hog like i don't care anymore just ravenous yep it really is it gets it's actually like my body goes well now we have to make up for the six months that you deprived (laughs) us so yeah yeah, right midnight cravings out of nowhere foaming at the mouth Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what's this Twinkies are on sale, all of them in the shopping cart. Mm-mm. I actually don't like Twinkies. I don't know why I used that as an example, though. They've gotten worse. I think that either I have rose-colored glasses from when I was a kid, or they've legitimately gotten worse. And I, no. I believe they've just gotten worse. No, I don't think so. Said, I think like, I think they're just bad, dude. They no, like just a lot of the snack foods uh, have dipped in quality, like Hostess cupcakes, Ding Dongs. Honey buns, which I ate like a crack fiend. Yes. <laughs> I cannot find the honey buns that were made like the original recipe. Like, did, you, did your like high school or middle school ever sell like honey buns in the vending machines and stuff? Yes. Uh, no, mine did not. But we had we made up for it at the lunch. Like they legit like had like goodies, pizza and all this stuff delivered. Like everybody had hot Cheetos. And hey, there was, like, you go to school? I went to school at Lakewood <laughs> High School. Um, yeah. That means absolutely nothing to this Floridian. To me, boy, no, right? it doesn't. Uh, it, that sounds, it sounds nice. It was just straight. It was ghetto. Like, it oh, was okay. <laughs> 100% ghetto. Um, I was pretty inoculated from the black community for most of my school years until I went to Lakewood High School where everybody was getting busted from all the different uh, areas. well with me i was a you know i well was still am um a little fat kid and i knew the lunch lady so i would buy a honey bun from the vending machine and i would like because because i knew the lunch lady i would sneak into the back of the lunch place and i would microwave the honey bun for like 30 seconds so i would eat like a nice warm honey bun 
That's the most fat kid story I've ever heard. Like, yeah, I had a hookup with the lunch lady back in high school. That microwave. Yeah, I got a few extra cookies in my day. Oh, my God. Oh, yep. and Lord, man. I'm just reliving eating the middle piece of the honey bun. That bite <laughs> was just heaven. Dude, you know what's not gotten any worse, though? Those, like, host... I think they're... No, Little Debbie's Brownies. Little Those Debbie's little, Brownies? Yeah, dude, it's with not, the frosting on it's top. It's, like, not even chocolate. I don't know what it is. It's I don't delicious, know what it though. is. It, it's almost like eating chocolate-flavored Play-Doh, but somehow it's still <laughs> delicious. Yeah, no, you're right. I still love terrible. it. No, no. Can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah? Well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, like, as an adult, I'm going to go make myself some homemade brownies tonight. But That sounds amazing, actually. I'm, it, it re- well, they're brookies, but... Nevertheless, like yes. I'm gonna make them myself. Um, I'm just saying I still fuck with those little Debbie brownies. I understand. Yeah, I eat them like like you do. <laughs> but other than that, like, oh, you know what? I I was talking to you about it last on last week's episode, Jordan. But I finally uh, got the I finished and got the platinum trophy on Hybroxia on PS4. That game's actually kind of dope. I don't know if it's still on sale, but if it is, you should totally pick it up. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll take a look at you. I, I saw your tweet about it. Yeah, dude, it's it's a fun little uh, fun little shmup that like it'll only take you, I don't know, two hours maybe to beat it. But it's got a long tail where you can. There's lots of different modes that you can mess with, and uh, I don't have lots ex- of lots of upgrades to unlock. I don't have an extensive history with like burning through shmups. Like I remember there was one that was iconic when I was like in middle school. So it was a Japanese one that was like the hardest game of all time. And I'll never know the name of it and never remember it, but it was like just regarded as the hardest shmup ever. And just like looking at the screen, it was like 99% of the screen was bullets and lasers. And then you had to be in the 1% that wasn't being fired on. You know what's funny is like those have now become their own subgenre of shoot 'em ups um, called bullet hell. Really? Really? Yeah. Which is so accurate if you've ever played a bullet hell game. Like, it really <laughs> describes it immensely well. Which is a stark difference to something like Souls-like, which doesn't mean anything to somebody who's never played a Dark Souls-like game. Yeah. Or which even I am one of those people. I mean, you're not missing a whole lot, in my opinion. Like, they're just very difficult action games. But Or even something like Castle... Um, Oh my god, what am I saying? Metroidvania games. Like, unless you played Metroid or the Metroidvania like Castlevania games, like, that moniker doesn't mean shit to you either. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, just, I can't get into the tedium that is most shmups. I, I just, I, I don't have fun with it. Some people love it. Like, some people love the Dark Souls series and they love those types of games. I can't get into it myself. I recognize that they're great. But I just don't have the perseverance to to slog through and be perfect, have perfect parries, perfect dodges. Like, I just don't have the will, I guess. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, like, this game is not like that. Like, it's it can be kind of difficult in certain levels, but it's certainly not like that. It's just okay. a fun little game that you fly your little spaceship around and shoot shit. And that's really the essence of the game. And for two bucks, I mean, it's... It's not a huge investment that you have to make to give it a shot. Yeah. Which, in all honesty, is why I did. 
I'm glad I did, but that's the only that's the only reason. It w- it's only like five dollars, I think, normal price. And even then, I was like, mm, I don't know though. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that bargain bin game <laughs> straight up, dude. Like when I see things that are just mad cheap, I'm like, mm, I don't really want this. What ninety cents? Yeah, I see. It's like you, you are the bargain master when it comes to a video game buzz, mm-hmm. dude. For real, like I, half of my my life on Twitter is just following people who tweet out video game deals and like mm, maybe I do want Red Dead for twelve dollars. <laughs> That's why, like, I had this debate with Jordan. Um, maybe six months ago or something like that, where he was trying to tell me how he has so many Steam games and this and that. I was like, bro, I will bet you dollars to donuts. I have more games on PS4 than you have on Steam. And sure enough. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I remember people like coming on. It's like the Steam sale is. And like, I remember the memes of like Steam sales up and like the, the daddy in the doorway with the belt and the wallet is like, daddy, no. <laughs> I mean Steam sales are pretty rough. Like I'm that's one of the reasons I'm glad I'm not a PC gamer because I can't afford that kind of shit, dude. Like I I spent 50 No, what did I spend? What was that deal that I sent over to you the other? Oh, it's $40 for 54 games on Steam. Damn. And I'm like this is such a great deal and it's all going to charity that I kind of can't help myself, but also I'm never going to play these games. Yeah. Yeah. Like I stopped playing steam a while ago, but like back in the day in high school, middle school, high school, that's all I ever played on. And like, you can game the system. Cause I remember vividly my friend Brian and I, we got a counter-strike half, like half, like game pack. And it had, I think, six game game keys, and they all worked to log in a Steam for like CS everything. Like they unlocked everything. You know what kills me about Steam? Hmm. Sometimes I'll log in there and I'll be like, I know I didn't buy this game. (laughs) 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 Like, like I own the entire that Valve collection that they sell. I own that. I promise you I've never purchased it. Yeah. I have exactly. no idea. I can look at my purchase history. It's not on there. But somehow I just own like Half-Life and Half-Life 2 and all these games. I'm like, but how? Like, did they just, <laughs> were they just like, please come play Steam? Look please. at these games that we gave you. Speaking of which, how how are they comparing against Epic Games? Is Epic Games like running them out of the shop or what? Oh, Jesus. Do we really want to go down this rabbit hole right now? I think we need to save that for another one, then. All right. <laughs> I think we might, because that's that's a whole conversation that I know Jordan especially has a lot of thoughts about. Mm-hmm. One last thing about Steam, which is hilarious. I, I, So I opened it up because they're talking about it. They have, they have a spring cleaning event right now, which oh, is God. literally just an event to have you play your backlog of games. Oh, it's, my God. It's like... It's the whole premise is that hey, you have a lot of games in your backlog. Why don't you just try booting up some random ones and see what you like? And Jesus they Christ. to 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 make it through. It's, it's like a little it's like a little mini game. So to make it through the different levels of the mini game, you have to boot up and play like three random games that it selects for each level. So it wants me to play Elite Dangerous, uh, Civ Beyond Earth, and then Kotor Two. 
and then I'll get to the next level. It's like, what Good the Lord. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on a second. Are you trying to tell me that you have Civ Beyond Earth and you've never booted it up? Oh, no, 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 no. No, I have. Just I didn't I haven't played it on Steam. I had the direct copy years ago when it came out and I played it then. Uh, and I actually I I like Beyond Earth. That's not a super popular opinion. Most people just say it's Civ 5 just with a texture pack on it, but I liked Beyond Earth. I thought it was pretty cool. I'll never play Elite Dangerous. Um and Kotor 2 is one of my favorite games of all time, so it Dude, doesn't hold like, up very well, though. That's so funny to me. Like, I, I know I've seen that kind of that criticism of Beyond Earth as well. But like back in the day, those are the kind of expansions that we got. And we were happy to pay the extra $40 or whatever it was to get that <laughs> expansion. Yeah, I would rather take stuff like like adventurous and original uh, DLC things like this or maybe just brand new quote unquote repackaged games or re or reskinned games than just more civilizations like like with six yeah. Yeah. six did a lot of cool things I guess but they're not as adventurous as beyond earth and I think that they just got a lot of backlash for it because it wasn't as different as people expected I, I don't know what they what they thought it was gonna be but uh, it was cool I liked it I know for me personally, I think that Civ 6 was, it wasn't enough of a leap forward for me to go, this is better than Civ 5. Like, if I was going to boot up Civilization and play it today, I would probably play Civ 5. So, I mean, mm. Civ 5's incredible. It really is. Um, Civ 6 uh, does change things up enough where I enjoyed it for a few dozen hours, but I didn't put nearly the much the, as much time in 6 as I did 5. Yeah, 100%. I put a ridiculous amount of hours in the Civ 5, like you know what I would kill for? 400 maybe? You know what I would kill for? Um, somehow cycling back to the original topic of this, of this podcast, but I would, I would love a <laughs> I would love a Civ style or Civ branded Civ built but branded like Star Wars. So mm. they had they had a, an old RTS, it was Star Wars Empire at War. Okay. That game was so legit. It was so good, incredibly good. Space combat, ground battles, galaxy management. It was awesome. And I just want them to do another large-scale RTS, but with a Star Wars IP. So yeah. you basically want them to take that Star Wars board game that you have and turn mm -hmm. it into a video game. Basically. Sure, let's do it, yeah. <laughs> but how many different factions are there of Star Wars that you can like basically make a three. civilization? Three. Mainly. Bro, I mean, Mainly like, three. The there are three main ones, but like <laughs> you could make so many. You could you have know. a ridiculous amount. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, like if we're talking a civilization-like video game, then we could create ridiculous scenarios where the Ewoks become advanced enough to leave and start. <laughs> Dude! They just start taking over the galaxy. Just tree oh, traps God. everywhere. Oh, <laughs> that's that's all they do. So good. Guerrilla <laughs> warfare times yeah. a million. <laughs> That'd be incredible. But speaking about Star Wars, mm -hmm. let's go ahead and dive into this. <laughs> Episode four. So before we even get started on episode four, like what's your guys' history with Star Wars? You can go first, John. Yeah. Um, so my history with Star Wars is tied a lot to my dad. Um, that's honestly where I get a lot of my cinematograph cinematography nostalgia from. Uh, the first time that I ever watched it, um, my dad came home, put it on VHS, and we just sat in the living room. 
and I was about 10. And then I fell in love with it, not for the fact that I really liked the movie, which I did, but more of the fact that like I got to spend more time with my father who was like working a lot. Mm. And like movies was just how we connected. Like he has all the Star Wars on VHS. He has all of the James Bonds on VHS. He has all the X-Men and the X-Men animated series on VHS. And we watched every single one of those tapes. Somehow this man again. has Star Wars episode seven, eight, and nine on VHS, even I'm though they just make it. Saying, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm no lie. I could go to my parents' house right now and I could pull that shit out for you. So this this is kind of a random question. I don't even know if you'll remember or not. But was that the uh, original cut or was that a special edition version that you watched? Original cut. It's not a special edition. Okay. Everything was original when it came to my dad. Okay. Because, I mean, like, for me, I don't even know if I've ever seen the original cut. If I have, it was very similar to you, where I watched it with my dad when I was little. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember the original cut anymore. Like, being completely honest, it's been so long since I've seen it. I don't remember it. Yeah. Like, I remember, like, seeing, like, well, Han shot first. I was like, what are, what are they talking about? What is, what is everybody mm-hmm. up in arms about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can get to that in a, in a few, because... I have some thoughts on that particular debate, but, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, like, I know, I remember watching that movie without Jabba in it, Mm -hmm. Um, even though he's like a total footnote in the grand scheme of things of this movie. But like, I remember little things like that. But if you ask me to just like list out differences for you, I I couldn't even watching it. I couldn't be like, well, that wasn't in the original. That wasn't in the original. There are some things where I can do that because they clearly stick out um, as, you know, like this is obviously cheap CG into the movie. It's pretty much all Moss Eisley. Like that's about 90% of where they made their changes, I think. That that makes sense to me. Um, And like I said, I'm no expert, so I can't rebuke that at all, but that makes sense. So what about you, Jordan? Like where, where did where did you start with Star Wars? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a similar background. I had um, the original VHS trilogy. Well, I didn't have it. I was like five, but um, <laughs> you know, so, some relative I knew uh, had like the original trilogy. I saw the original cuts for it, um, and I've just I just love sci-fi and, and everything ever since. Um, I grew up watching like Mystery Science Theater 3000 with my father. So we always mm. were into like sci-fi stuff and the Mystery Science Theater. It's a, that's a really, it's a, it's a big stretch to compare that with Star Wars. Yeah. But still, like I always loved this uh, sci-fi genre. I loved, uh, I loved uh, all just fantasy stuff like that in general. So Star Wars was a natural fit for me. And I remember seeing the, I remember like as a kid rewatching the original um, movie episode four at a friend's house. And he had like, he had the, the movie post like 99 when, when episode one came out, I think it was 99, something like that. Um, Sounds right. And I remember seeing the CGI scenes for the first time. And I, mean, and I remember looking at like, what the hell am I watching? Is this the same movie? And it was all within like the first 20, 30 minutes is when they make a lot of the changes with the Dubaks and the Banthas shitting on Moss Eisley, but wh- whatever. So, Oh, you mean the special editions? I thought you meant like literally episode one. No, 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 no. Sorry. Yeah. After they re-released with the with all the enhancements that Lucas made to the original the, trilogies. I, I want to say the special editions came out in like the 80s, but I'd have to check. 
I, well, I remember watching the original. I like, like I remember being surprised seeing all those CGI enhancements and just being like, "What am I watching here?" Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my history. So pretty much the same for all three of us. Cool. We have older men in our lives that are into Star Wars. It's yes. Super original. I like that. <laughs> so are you guys into anything other than the main films? Because like I know for me, I've messed with some of the stuff outside of the nine core films and then the the couple of spinoffs that they've done more recently. But generally speaking, like I watch the main movies and that's about it. Um, with me, it's basically the same. I mean, I did dabble into the obscure galaxy books that they, um, released like extensions from the main story, but nothing that I delved, delved way too far into. Um, like even the Clone Wars cartoons, which I need to pick up, like I still have yet to do that. No, Bro, I know just, you have Disney Plus. Like you need I, to just watch that. I understand. I just need to put it put it on the schedule, but it's hard. It's hard. I actually work during the day, and then I have to make sure that my wife, like fiance, she gets enough time where she doesn't just have to hold the baby for the whole day and feel like she can't do anything. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Like I'm still in knee deep in that life, so I I totally get it. Exactly. What about you, Jordan? You uh, do you mess with any of the side shows, cartoons, comics, books, any of that? What do I watch? Um, I read two of the expanded uh, years ago, like over ten years ago. Two of the expanded books, like one of the more popular ones, that went into what could have happened after Episode uh, Six, and that goes into uh, that, that. That was the whole storyline with the uh, with uh, Han and Leia's twins, and one of them went to the dark side, one went to the light side, yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, I always loved those books. Um, they introduced a lot of really cool concepts, a lot of really cool creatures. Um, other than that, I've played the hell out of a lot of Star Wars games. I enjoy the Old Republic lore of things like KOTOR, uh, uh, just Knights of the Old Republic, all of that. Um, I have – I've watched Clone Wars, not all of it. I've watched a number of Clone, War, uh, Clone Wars episodes. It, it, it was really hard to get into late game, to, like Clone Wars, because the CGI is really off-putting to me, uh, like the whole, the whole animation style for it. Yeah. But I just kind of went and was like, what's a summary of the major plot points? Like, what's the what's the big thing I need to watch out for? You know, things with the Mandalorians, uh, heavily with Mandalorians and the Clone Wars, darks, yeah. you know, with the uh, dark saber and things like that. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, no comics, few books, um, all the movies. It's pretty much been my uh, my history. Yeah, I will say when Episode Seven came out i was so pumped up for it like i was reading all the new marvel comics that they were coming out with like literally every single one i have a bunch of them on my shelf back here actually still but i've since kind of fallen off with this which is kind of a shame like a lot of them are still really good the darth vader ones especially are really really good yeah i've heard someone good things about that I had someone tell me the other day, they're like, dude, you have to read the episode nine book. It's just, it's so much better than the movie. It explains a lot. It's way better. I'm like, well, why didn't they just do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> Hold on. We'll get to that when we get to episode nine. I have, oh, <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Oh, my God. Do I have thoughts I can, about that movie? I can just imagine. Like, I feel like 
if I need to be on that episode because I like me and you are going to agree on a lot of things, and like we're just going to like probably go into like six hours of just tearing that shit down. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll see, man. Like that's. I'm not even going to get into it. Like I, ha- I have so many things that I could say about Ooh. that, but I really want to, and that's that's really why I wanted to go down this road is so I can put myself back into the headspace of the original trilogy, and then what it was like to go into the prequel trilogy, and then what it was like to go into the sequel trilogy, because like I know how I feel today, and I'll be curious to find out when I put it, it a little bit more into perspective after watching the previous eight films, if that perspective will change. Um, speaking of which, though, like, when's the last time that you guys watched all of these movies? Um, before nine. Mm. Yeah, I, I watched. What did I watch before nine? I don't, I don't think I got a chance to watch them all, but I watched a number of them. I think I watched like six, seven, eight before nine. Okay, that's. I random, I know it is, but like that's all that I could get to. Like certain friends of mine were were like, "Oh, we're gonna watch all the Star Wars movies, every single one of them, including the sides like Rogue Rogue One and and uh, and, and Solo." And I just couldn't have time for it, so I wanted to be like, "Okay, let me just let me just ramp up right up until uh, up until nine, and then I'll still enjoy it." You didn't have time to watch ten movies back to back. No, I didn't. And 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 those those same friends were the insane ones that were like, "Let me watch all twenty something Marvel movies before Infinity no, War Part Two. No I love Marvel movies, but that I I can't imagine doing that. It's a tall order. It is a no. tall order. So with that, well, I mean, when's the last time that you saw Episode Four? Two or three years ago, I'm gonna say, like before one of, uh, b- before seven or eight, I know that I, I watched episode four. Like I usually watch it at least once every five years. I find myself for some reason revisiting it, you know, enjoying this it. Of course, you. <laughs> yeah, it just so something speaks to me. I mean, you know, I have it. that that Blu-ray that they released before episode seven that has everything up to that point, like the, the special art book and all that kind of shit. So. I, I can relate to that. I'll just look at the shelf sometimes like, hmm, that episode four is looking real nice, though. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want it to get because it's one of those Blu-ray sets where it's not just like uh, the disc clips into one of those DVD holder type of clips. It's one of the pocket ones that slides into cardboard or whatever, oh. which I can go on a whole tirade about how much. Yeah. I hate Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. nevertheless, sometimes I'll look up there and I'm like, mm, I really don't want it to get stuck in that cardboard, so I can't retrieve it. Maybe I should just pop it into the Blu-ray player and give it a watch <laughs> every now and then. What about you, though, John? Like, when's the last time that you watched these movies? Uh, five years ago. Oh, um, yeah, it was uh when I was basically just like working just to work, didn't really have like a social life, and like I literally just go to like top 10 movie lists, top 100 movie lists and just start watching stuff and Star Wars popped up and I was like, eh, I wonder how it holds up. So I started rewatching those, but that was the last time I watched mostly all the movies. Mm, that kind of makes sense to me for you because you watch so many things. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if you watched very many films or TV shows or anything really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, most of the time when stuff like that gets on my radar, it's because there's a lot of buzz about it on the internet. It's like, oh, this movie is like a really good suspense thriller. Everybody's talking about it. I was like, mm, let me check it out. Or like, 
when there's nothing of note or I'm like waiting for my new seasons to start, I'll basically like go to like a top 100 sci-fi list movie of movies and then go through that list and see what I haven't seen. Mm. So I guess to start us off here, I wrote a little TLDR for the plot of episode four. I can't imagine who actually needs this, but just in case somebody is listening to this and has no idea what this movie is about, um, originally released in May on May 25th, 1977, which, by the way, is only one day away from being the 43rd anniversary. Am I counting that right? Yep, 43rd anniversary tomorrow um, of this movie as as of the time of recording this anyway. Uh, so strangely timely, actually. But um, episode four, A New Hope, tells the story of a galaxy that's ruled by an evil empire. And Princess Leia leads a rebel faction to overthrow the empire and helps to steal and recover stolen plans for the empire's ultimate weapon, a Death Star battle station, a moonside space station capable of destroying an entire planet in one shot. Together with Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and the droids R2-D2 and C-3PO, they recover the plans and launch an attack on said space station. I rem- You know what's interesting to me about this movie is I was kind of watching it. So I watched it twice this week mm-hmm. in preparation for this episode. And the thing that stood out to me the most is like this movie is actually about a Star War like yeah this, this movie's literally about a war that takes place in space which is more than i can say for most of the star wars movies 100 percent. it's not even a war it's like the first thing like the first two sentences of the opening scroll which stood out to me it says it's a period of civil war and it's mm-hmm. not really even that it's yeah it's just a bunch of really, like, you know, call them rebels, but you know, they're just terrorists, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say that in at least like taking this movie just for what it is, right? Like, forget what we learn later in mm-hmm. subsequent films. The rebel faction does not come off as a small guerrilla group of rebels that are like 12 people hamstringed together by this rogue princess. Like, it feels like an army that's put together to stand up to this empire. It in, feels like a big space conflict. In yes. later movies, it does. In this one, specifically, like, you only ever see, like, Y-Wings and X-Wings. You never even see any capital ships at all from the, from the Rebellion. That's true, but that, to me, that kind of speaks to how powerful the Empire has become. Like, they have so many resources at their disposal and they've taken over so much that they have these grand vessels that are meant to intimidate everybody. Mm-hmm. And like, we do see the rebel base, which is this seemingly very large military station. Like you have generals and commanders and they have a war room with this big display piece in the middle so they can keep track of tactical uh, positioning and all this kind of thing. Like, it, it's not a fly-by-night operation with zero funding. Like, it's clear that they have some backing behind them. Granted, it's expressly stated in the movie that Princess Leia is extraordinarily wealthy. 
But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have but a it's hard also... time believing that any one princess could fund an intergalactic war against the Empire. And it's not just her. It's a it's a coalition. So they mention in the in the in the very beginning of the movie that they're having troubles with the Senate itself, and they're worried. They're like, "How's that? How's the Senate going to react to this? How could we possibly destroy Alderaan and still, you know, retain control of the Senate?" And then Darth Vader and Tarkin comes in that iconic scene where he force chokes one of his his other uh, admirals or whatever his position mm-hmm. is, and he's like, "They've taken care of the, of the Senate. They've they uh, the the Emperor has uh, has abolished and and uh, disassembled it." So he shuts down the Senate, and then the structure truly becomes, you know, like a dictatorship kind of. Yep, exactly. I thought that was pretty smart that they they put that out there right away. Like, okay, it briefly was at the beginning of this movie. There was some form of democracy, but that has quickly changed. Straight up plugged that hole. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. It's it's interesting to me though because like the like you were talking about the opening scroll. So I noted a couple of things about the opening scroll. Um, we get a lot of a lot of um, a lot of information from that opening scroll that we don't get really anywhere else in the movie. Um, so, for example, they tell us up front that they've stolen plans to the star to the Death Star. They tell us what the Death Star is. They tell us that Princess Leia, who's ostensibly like a um, a foreign dignitary, just you know, mm-hmm. on a peaceful mission, but really she's stealing these plans. They don't really explain how she gets these plans, which is yeah. interesting. Um, like, if you just kind of drop into this movie with no context, kind of like, how in the hell did this random princess, like, infiltrate this destructive space station and steal the plans for the entire yeah. event? Exactly. Something so important that she should never have access to anything remotely close to that. It feels right. like episode four starts in the middle of another movie, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, does. it definitely does, yes. It does, but I think that that actually lends to how good of a movie that it is because you're yeah. not left there feeling stranded, mm-hmm. like you missed something. You know that you missed something, but it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Like the story that they're trying to tell is way more contained and character-driven than that. Yeah, and it always bothered me that like, why could they take down this monolithic superstructure with one shot that always bothered me. And yeah. I did, I appreciated Rogue One and Rogue One actually still stands as one of my favorite Star Wars movies to date. Yeah. I appreciated what Rogue One did, you know, uh, inviting the actual architect and the main uh, designer of the Death Star, you know, setting, he purposefully put a design flaw in, like he anticipated this would happen. And I feel like they really did tie up some plot holes that, uh, that existed. I don't know. Like, I never really felt like it was a plot hole. Like, for me, so the explanation that they give in the movie is that there's this exhaust vent to the main reactor within the Death Star, which is weird, but also, like, that kind of just, that works for me. I'm like, I don't have a clue how you would build a moon-sized battle station in space so if you're here to tell me that like whatever reactor you have going on in the center of this thing has to have an exhaust port for whatever reason, and if you should happen to shoot something in there perfectly and go down this like miles long shaft and hit the reactor, it'll explode and destroy the entire station. That just makes sense to me. I don't know. It seems like it's a difficult enough task that it's plausible. 
like that nobody would yeah. think like oh yeah like this there this could happen it's such a grand scale like that we need to protect this with everything that we have it it seems to me like the kind of thing where if you're building that kind of thing you're probably going to be like we have cannons we have minor ships we have all these defenses for this battle station not to mention the giant laser that can destroy planets in and of itself Mm -hmm. what are the odds that one little rogue ship is not only going to get close enough to this port to shoot something in it but that they would know about it in the first place and even if they do they hit something that is i think they describe it as two meters across which is Mm -hmm. like 14 feet the size of just right just right yeah because i mean like the way they show it to you on their display screen in the war room it's a long shaft so you would have to hit it perfectly so it doesn't at some point you know ricochet off the side of the shaft and then you just blew it you would have to hit it absolutely perfectly yeah and they also um expand upon that in real time when they're actually through the battle where the first pilot to take a shot using the guidance system targeting system and he hits it and it's like it was a miss yeah like he like the targeting system had him right on target and it was still a miss targeting system should have been out there shooting womp rats before that run i don't know Hell how they yeah. i don't know how they anticipated or thought that a targeting system would be able to bend torpedoes mid-flight down a, like 90 <laughs> degrees down like, I, don't, I always thought that the shot was always impossible and they were coming at it in the wrong direction. But mm-hmm. I, I, I would say that it was clearly the, coming at it the wrong way. <laughs> I always thought it was just the force that turned the, turned the torpedoes downwards. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, like if you think about that and you're looking at it in the entire readout of this battle station, are you going to be like, okay, so we have to come straight at this thing so we can shoot directly into it and we don't hit the sides or something like that. Or are you going to be like, you know what? We could really, fly down this big can- canyon on the side of this thing that's there for no reason we can discern and whiz around all of these different uh, defense turrets that they have set up all over the place so that we can shoot it over here, pray that the torpedoes hit a perfect 90 degree angle and go in there. Yeah. Han had the right idea of trying to like originally just abandon that mission. I was like, suicide. Straight up suicide. At first, when I was watching it, I was like, man, Han's kind of a bitch for just bailing out of here. But then I thought about it. I was like, wait a second. You mean to tell me that you guys were in this big war room and everybody's decision was, no, no, no. We're not going to fly straight at it. We're going to come down the canyon at a 90 degree angle and curve a shot into this thing. And I'm like, you guys are out of here. You don't know what you're doing. I'm out of here. With like one or two squadrons of ships, like a handful of them. Like their forces were not that many at all. It's a little ridiculous. It is. And episode six was far more believable how they had the entire uh, space battle. That was an actual legitimate cruiser versus cruiser type of moment. Um, But this one was just, uh, it it was a little, a little bit of a stretch for me always. That's why I appreciated rogue one. I do love though, how they're like, Man, they got these little tiny X-Wings, which, by the way, are like one of the most prominent ships in the galaxy, we come to find out. Mm-hmm. But they're like, oh, they got all these little X-Wings. Our turrets can't handle them. They're too tiny, man. You mean to tell me that you built this big space station with defensive turrets that can't handle one of these exceedingly common 
spaceships? Are you for real? Well, <laughs> who built this thing? I think the idea was that those types of turrets were for capital ships, but only a handful of TIE fighters were sent out. There should be hundreds of thousands yeah. of TIE fighters on yeah. that damn Death Star. To be fair, there's kind of an implication that the battle on the surface of the Death Star is larger than we really see. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we see uh, X-Wing pilots that we have no idea who this character is, and they just get blown up. Right? Actually, you know what? I'm just going to bring this up right now, because I just thought of it, and it mm-hmm. stuck out to me both times that I watched it, like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Are are you for real? They named the fat guy Porkins? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> And then murdered him immediately. Yep. Like, they just wanted to make a fat guy joke and then blow him up. <laughs> yeah, this guy fit in here. That was okay. Porkins, I cannot... Like, I remember Porkins, but I didn't remember what he looked like. I watched that, I'm like, wait, are you guys for real? Did you just sneak a fat joke in here just because you could do it? <laughs> so I was alright with it. Oh, and uh, I made a note about this, so... I love the design of Star Wars ships. I do. But I don't know if I love the design because they're just intrinsically good or if it's because I grew up with them and they're so iconic and classic and it's just kind of something that you just get used to and you just learn to love. Because around that time and even before then, there were a number of other, albeit lesser, sci-fi movies that had their own designs for ships and everything. And none of them... Outside of sorry, outside of Star Trek, were anywhere near as iconic as Star Wars. So it's it's pretty incredible that those designs have become so pro- prolific. Like, do you think that they're go- actually good designs, like aesthetically, that like they look like cool ships, or are we just so used to them that we just come to understand that we love them? I was battling with myself over that. I think. For me, they they really work as designs. Like if yeah. you look at them, I look at those ships and I'm like, I have no idea how this thing would actually fly. But aesthetically, they're really simple, and I think that's what makes them work so well. Yeah. Exactly. You don't want too many moving parts or too many things that can go wrong while you're in effing space. So mm-hmm. it just makes sense. Plus, they're really easy to remember. There's an mm-hmm. X wing, looks like an Y-wing. X. Y wing, looks like a Y. Tie fighter. Yeah, looks like a bow tie. H? Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're oh super my god! Obvious. You Is just that got that. Name it Tie Fighter. Yeah. yeah, dude, how have I gone almost thirty years and never knew that? I, I, I never. I thought it was an acronym for something. They legitimately mm-hmm. named it Tie Fighter because it looks like a bow tie. Yes. Yeah. Straight up, what it looks like. All right. Well, have a good day. <laughs> I, and that's how, how we got not, rid of the least knowledgeable person on this cast how have i not i don't know just like those things just escape me all right cool i, I can't blame you i miss things like that all the time but but like yeah. the other the other designs and the other names that for the for the tie fighter variants have nothing to do with that like the the, the interceptor the bomber mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like they're just normal cool names for tie fighters they just stop naming them after like men's Attire, well, I guess. I don't know. Like, the- <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, like those ones came later, and we don't see any of those in this. They movie. should have named their 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 tie bomber just a cummerbund. I think that would have been cool. <laughs> the tie cummerbund. <laughs> the tie cummerbund. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just so we got a fleet of cummerbunds coming in. Uh, no. Jesus Christ. So, kind of scrolling all the way back, because we we jump straight into the ending there, and I yeah. have some thoughts about the way the movie actually ends, but. 
I thought it was interesting that the very first characters that we meet are R2-D2 and C-3PO. Like, these are the only two characters, to my knowledge, that are in all nine films. And they're the very first characters that we meet. Did you also notice that there was another C-3 unit? That was oh, I the- sure did. And Dude, I went down a rabbit hole with this because... <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh, C-3PO is not unique. And it turns out like 3PO is his like the design model number. Okay. Uh, he's just C-3PO. But yeah, so like there's a silver uh, 3PO unit that kind of walks off screen right from right behind them when you first see them. And there's a whole nother. I don't think I wrote it down in my notes. But I was reading about this. There's a whole nother series of protocol droids like these with a totally different model number, but they look exactly the same. And if you pay attention, when they're infiltrating the Death Star, infiltrating, I use kind of loosely given that they get sucked (laughs) into the thing, but um, there's a black protocol droid that walks past them at one point, but it has totally different eyes. Like there's a Mm -hmm. whole range of protocol droids um that exist in the universe there's never never any other ones that look like c3po right like i I can't remember any other scene in star wars now there are a lot of movies so i could possibly be forgetting it but any other functioning c3 uh, C c3po lookalike like that yeah it was it's definitely had its, its own iconic color and make yeah not to my knowledge but from what I was reading, the greater Star Wars lore has established that 3PO units are extremely common, even though mm-hmm. we never see them, which doesn't make any sense. But like we see a thousand R2 units throughout the series, but we never see, never see 3PO units. But apparently they're very common. Um, the only reason that C-3PO is gold like that is because he was built from scraps that Anakin had lying around, which... We'll get to that in episode one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like there's nothing special about C-3PO as a, as a droid, apparently. He's just the one we happen to follow. I thought it was cool that the first scene there um, has that now like Star Wars identified space pan, uh, camera pan down. Like they use that in every Star Wars movie 50 times. And it's yeah. cool that it starts with that and it pans down over the planet and then you have the models flying over the top of the camera itself. So awesome. What's really cool about that is that was a really, for lack of a better way to put it, special effect when this movie came out. Like, people in the audience were watching the movie like, holy shit, look at this. Whoa, dude, they're doing this in Star Trek. How'd they get into space? (laughs) Yeah, like, the big Star Destroyers and all this, like, they really pushed the boundaries of what was possible with sci-fi, but, like, special effects in general. Yeah, like a lot of practical effects just blew your mind back in those days. Like, and I think they did most of it was predominantly camera angles, just maximizing the use of that, which was amazing when you think about it. Giving you forced perspective on the models to make them look large. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. It really is. And the models forced are beautiful. perspective, eh? <laughs> Get out. Oh, <laughs> So I watched it on Disney Plus, and, and I don't know what version released the, the Disney Plus one is. I think it's actually its own release, if I remember. I but, so. And I think I read that they made some other alteration to this version, too, but I watched the same version. They can't help themselves. But um, 
being that it was Lucas now being being that it was um recorded on film they had an easier time bumping up the resolution it actually looks really sharp it looks good um i mean it looks millions of times better than the vhs releases which were forced into a 480p format you know like it it still kind of holds up i don't love the coloring of the film i'm I'm really going to get into this too much but there's a grindhouse version that recolors and changes the temperature of the entire movie to be more of a like a, an opaque type of brown or sans color, and it looks so much better, and it fits that era more than this one, which is a little more blue and brighter. To be honest with you, I kind of feel like the higher the resolution goes on this movie, the more it's to the movie's detriment. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's not. It wasn't meant to be viewed in this much fidelity. Exactly. Um, and yeah. I, I, and I do, I do, I do think the color plays a role in it. Like, I think it's a little bit too bright. Like really look into other there's a youtube video i watch which had four different um four different uh sections of, of the video which were broken out into the same scene but it was a, the different colors so like, they just changed the temperature or they just changed some colors here and there and it is a huge difference um just l- those small little tweaks uh to the actual temperature of the film can make and it was i th- thought it was really cool i think I think they missed an opportunity doing that, but I believe they did it to make all the films kind of look consistent back in nineties when they released yeah. the, the, the original trilogy to match the, the color temperature between those and to make the transition a little bit easier. But I don't know. I mean, like for me, it, color temperature and the just kind of the general look of the movie. I don't think that it needs adjusting. Like I don't, I don't think that you're wrong in saying that you know the grindhouse version that you were talking about looks immensely better. This kind of, but I don't think that for me personally that kind of thing would make any appreciable difference. What does make an appreciable difference is when I'm watching the movie now in like 4K and I look at Chewbacca and I see the human behind oh, the mask. I made a note of that. It's so off-putting. <laughs> it really is, dude. Like. It looks... It's really weird, man. It's yeah, really it's, weird. It's, it's totally, it, it, it totally breaks you out of like the viewing experience. Yeah. Yeah, and it's worse when you watch it. Like I watched it the first time on my TV down in my living room. The second time, and I noticed it then, but the second time I watched it, I was sitting at my computer writing up notes for, for the show, and like I'm sitting two feet away from my, my monitor, and then you really notice it at that Whoa. point. It's so obvious. Mm. But like, mm. I mean, there's there's multiple things like that. Like in the uh, in the Battle of Yavin at the end of the movie, you can see Vader's eyes behind the mask. I'm like, you should not see Vader's <laughs> eyes behind this mask. Again. This is not. It takes so much away from how intimidating he is. Yeah, it it kind of makes a lot of like heavy and emotional scenes laughable and i think that's why they should respect the original format that the movie was released in and try and hold fast to that as much as possible like yeah we understand you want to make things look better more clarity but sometimes clarity isn't a good thing like especially with a lot of the older practical effects it actually takes away from their looks it actually makes them look cheap when you update the visuals in that way this is why I took issue with, remember a few years back when, I think it was when Blu-ray was first really taking over. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of movies were marketed as like the way it was meant to be seen. Mm-mm. No, the hell it was not. <laughs> when you watch a movie like episode four, you can tell this is not the way it was meant to be seen. Nobody intended for you to mm-hmm. be able to tell that um, um, that there's a human inside of a Wookiee suit. Nobody, <laughs> nobody wanted you to uh, see the actor behind the mat. And actually, what's it? It's even more jarring when you know that like Vader is voiced by James Earl Jones in this movie, but yeah. he's not played by James Earl Jones. So you can tell there's a white guy in that suit, <laughs> <laughs> which I found interesting. I was like. I kind of wanted to delve into that rabbit hole of like, how did they decide upon using James Earl Jones's voice for Darth Vader? So the way that I heard this story told, and I don't know how accurate this is, but this is what I heard, uh, was that the actor who's in the suit, which is David Prowse, actually did voice him originally, but because he's got that mask and all this shit on, they didn't have a good way to record his voice, so you were literally hearing him speak through the suit. Mm-hmm. And the audio was so bad that they were like, we have to dub over this. And so they took the opportunity to get James Earl Jones to come in because he has a voice that you can really sell as coming through this like mechanical machinery mm-hmm. uh, and really sell that, as, sell that character. Oh, that is very interesting. I mean, they nailed it. James Earl Jones is an incredible talent. So Perfect. Yes. he made that character it's right up there with uh, Morgan Freeman. Oh, I thought it was funny. Um, when Vader first walks in to the ship, he has his hands on his hips. I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought that was kind of weird, like, kind of a weird stance, just like kick in the door and walk in and has hands on his hips. He's like, what's going on here? Like, like all right. So, you know, Dude, sorry, dad. Entire- he walked in like a dad, kind of. <laughs> That entire first scene with Vader just killed me when I was watching it. I'm like, you need to tell me, this man is so unhinged that he's trying to interrogate this guy and accidentally snaps his neck. But then, not only did he snap his neck, but then he hurls him against the wall. <laughs> he's, he's pissed that he did. He's like, oh, just for good measure. Just for good measure. Like, damn it, he died on me. <laughs> Something I forgot that they that uh, C3 brought up was he was like, oh, if they capture us, uh, they're going to send us to the space mines of Kessel. And I was like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. That I didn't even remember that they brought up Kessel at all. And then later later you find, yes, it is a it is a spice mine. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's basically a, I think Kessel's like, Kessel's like a prison. It's like a work, like a work, uh, it's like a work camp like getting spice camp. out yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also Vader, in none of the other movies, is he as pissed off as he is in the first 15 minutes of this film? Like he's yelling at people. He's throwing people like he usually he's very cold. He's calculated, you know, but in this, the first like 15 minutes, he's just so pissed over everything. Just reacts. I yeah. love that line when Leia's like, I'm a peaceful dignitary from you're a rebel spy. <laughs> he's so mad. Shit. Don't you lie to me. I, I was like, man, if that were me, I'm like, oh shit, you're right. I'm a spy, my bad. <laughs> you got me all right. I didn't mean it. I swear to God. Like, calm mm-hmm. down. And why didn't they shoot the other escape pod? Like, are are they worried about their ammo on their 
on their Star Destroyer? Like, is that something like, oh, save the lasers, don't blow that one up because there's no organic life in it? I would have shot that yeah. thing down. It was like, do it for good measure. Like, what if there's like no organic life? And I was like, we're not taking any chances. With yeah, this. exactly. Like, why? Why was nobody like? You know, there's no organic life on there, but what if they just put the plans in there and shipped it <laughs> off the ship? You know what? Let's just blow it up, and then we don't have to worry about it. Instead, we we go on this space romp to a desert mm-hmm. planet because some asshole behind the guns was being cheap. <laughs> if I yeah. was that guy, I'm like, hey, can I just blow it up anyway? Like, I'm kind of bored. I don't. <laughs> I would have done it. Yeah, I would have done it. No, they they probably would have heralded me as like the hero of the empire if they knew what was actually going on in there. <laughs> Roll credits <laughs> and over. Oh, going circling back to uh, your uh, first notation about R2D2 and C3PO being the first character shown. Mm. Um, I feel like that was because like they were supposed to be our our perspective, our eyes and ears and narrators throughout the whole Star Wars trilogy. Like they really kind of are too when you think yeah. of them. Yeah, like they're they're they interact with nearly every character, every major character and every major event. R2D2 and C3PO are present and there. And they're like just autonomous spectators. I mean, they do play their roles, but mostly they they're just watching as everything transfolds. Honestly, R two D two does way more. C three PO can be like put in a fucking trash compactor. He's <laughs> super. He's super indifferent. Can yeah. Let's talk about their relationship for a second. Like, what a weird like the. I want to call them an odd couple type, but even yes, then, like C three PO is so immensely disrespectful to R two D two. He straight up gave up on them in the trash compactor immediately. Like after two seconds, they're not answering. They're dead. Hear their screams of pain. Oh, I failed them. Yeah, that was a funny <laughs> scene. Yeah, like you did it. You did it. Oh no, I did it. I killed them. Exactly. Like I was like, I feel like more programming should have been put into C three PO. Like he's an idiot for someone who has so much computing power. Speaking of the trash compactor. So something else that I found out while I was doing a little bit of research on this movie, mm-hmm. that creature that's in the trash compactor, I, w- I was always like, how in the hell did a creature end up inside their trash? Yes. Like a big creature, too. Well, it turns out that this creature is called a Dianoga. It's a seven-limbed mollusk-type creature. That it looks like kind of a big octopus with a that eye stock that you see pop out of the water with that yeah. like floating on top. This particular Dianoga is named Omi, and Ooh. it's force sensitive. God damn it! it Where did all pulled, this come from? Yeah, dude. Like this is this is a whole thing. This creature has an insane backstory as to how she got to this particular trash compactor it's does it have its own comic book series like (laughs) explaining like how it ended up there because that's what it feels like i give me two seconds like i'm gonna read you the entire story of this damn creature this thing is ridiculous so okay here we go sometime before the battle of yavin omi Mm -hmm. got into an altercation with idana a male member of her species Mm -hmm. who had wanted to exchange eggs Because of her force sensitivity, she was able to defeat Idana. Oh my god. I just want to point this out right right off the bat. 
<laughs> got into an altercation with this dude who wants to exchange eggs and defeated him. What kind of altercation? Doesn't matter. Sometime later, she was captured on her homeworld by the native Bodran, who handed Omi to Imperials en route to the Death Star. While en route to the Death to, to DS1, that's Death Star 1 for you keeping track at home. Okay. Uh, orbital battle station she received a vision of fiery destruction and was able to escape her containment she attempted to flee the vessel by making use of her species natural ability to camouflage but was discovered by two imperial stormtroopers although she was able to dispatch the two stormtroopers by surrendering herself to the power of what she could only describe as it note that it is the force Oh, God. She realized that there was nowhere to go and retreated back into her containment until finally arriving on the Death Star. Once aboard, Omi was Omi once again received a vision of fire and was dumped into a garbage chute, introducing her to Garbage Masher 3263827, where she would feed on the organic materials that would fall in. And that is how Omi... The Dianoga became an inhabitant of Garbage Masher 32638827. Did Omi, did she die when they blew up the star, the, the Death Star? Yes. Yeah. I, okay, let me finish the story. There's, it actually goes into details about the rest of her story, too. After rescuing Princess Leia Organa aboard the Death Star, Han Solo, Chew, Han Solo Chewbacca, and Luke Skywalker were temporarily stranded inside of Garbage Masher 3263827, along with the princess in the year 0 BBY. That's uh, battle uh, before the Battle of Yavin, for you keeping track at home. Enacting belief of her people... I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this. Enacting the belief of her people, Omi oh. pulled Skywalker into the water, baptizing him oh. after she felt that he was... He, too, was in submission to it and letting him go shortly thereafter. As the compression cycle was about to start, the Dianaga disappeared deep underwater. When Luke Skywalker was able to escape the trash compactor unharmed, Omi sensed that he would go on to do great things. Before the Death Star's destruction, Omi would continue to develop in her submission to it, being able to telepathically lift objects into the air. When her vision of fire was fulfilled and the Death Star was destroyed, she pondered what she would be in the next life. Wow. There's, there's so many whys in that story. <laughs> there really is. My so many whys. And weirdly, the biggest question that I have with this entire story is it says Omi once again received a vision of fire and was dumped into a garbage chute. Why? Yeah. Like, who was like, I'm sorry, did you say a vision of fire? Get the fuck out of here. You're in the trash now. Mm -mm. And not then, like, to, not to mention, like, she, they made it clear earlier she could take out stormtroopers with the force. Who the hell was good enough to throw her in the trash? I have no idea. Maybe Darth Vader did it himself some black foreboding shadow i mean with as much detail as they put into the story i feel like if it was darth vader's doing they would have mentioned that so that would all be too easy so specific you know it like, really is I'm, i cease to be amazed 
uh, about all of the expanded lore for Star Wars. I, I think that's what you get for a series that's almost 50 years old, you know, seven years shy, but still. You know, they've had so much time to expand on the smallest details that you just don't even think about. And to answer your question, where all this came from, it came from the ultimate Star Wars characters, creatures, locations, technology, and vehicles guidebook, along with Star Wars, absolutely everything you need to know. So it's canon? That title is accurate. Oh, yeah, that's canon. Cool. (laughs) That's totally canon. No one asked for it, but they got it. (laughs) That space squid is... Force like sensitive, how, and that's totally canon. Like how Luke was just baptized <laughs> beyond his will. Yep, that's why he was pulled down. Baptized. Yeah, yep, yeah, in baptized. shit water. In poop he, water. Uh, he submits to the Force, so we gotta baptize him according to my people. <laughs> like, I don't... In fact, let me link this to you guys because I, I just need you to see what this full creature looks like. Uh, I also encourage you guys listening at home to look this up. because This thing is something else. Oh, my God. That mouth. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good, dude. Wow. wow. I, I, I just can't. Like, I was just because all I wanted to know was how this creature ended up in the trash compactor. And I I found some shit. Mm, mm, mm. Good lord, man. I love when so they first... It, um, well, I, I'm always going to get back when they first land on Tatooine. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of the Spaceballs scene where they're combing the desert. <laughs> and they like, we ain't found shit. <laughs> and he's using the pick to comb the desert. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate Spaceballs, so I've never... Oh, really so disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's just, it's just a parody of Star Wars. I mean, yeah, of, of course, but it's hilarious. Listen, I love Mel Brooks. That one just doesn't work for me. I, I don't know. Man. It's so good, though. Let's watch it together again. So we I can, can consistently just tell you how you're wrong. Right, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll have a change of heart because I haven't even tried to watch it in a lot of years. So maybe, maybe I'll change. Give it a shot. <laughs> but speaking of when they first get onto Tatooine, um, I can't get over the fact that when they get captured by the Jawas, who, first of all, when we see the Jawas come over to scoop up R2-D2, not only are these little guys strong enough to just hoist R2-D2 like he's nothing and carry him away, but they are so stoked to do it. Like, did you guys notice that? Like, one of them skipping over there and singing a tune to himself. They they could not be more over the moon about this this event that's happened to them. There was a scene, um, briefly, uh, there was a scene where it's a little after that when when the droids are getting sold. And the the Sandcrawler stopped just at their moisture farm. There's, like, no one else in sight, but the Sandcrawler specifically went to um to luke's moisture farm and Mm -hmm. was trying to sell droids and in the background you can see a normal like human-sized six foot tall jawa just walking around that was like obviously taller than the rest of them and it was like we need more jawas in the scene he's like yeah but i I, i'm a little tall for that yeah whatever just just put it on and just walk around 
It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Speaking of like when they when they're uh, at the moisture farm trying. To, so first of all, Luke Skywalker, who we're introduced to here, is kind of an angsty kid. If we're being honest, yeah. Um, lives with his uncle Owen and Aunt Baru, and they run a moisture farm, which is a farm for water in the desert. And Aunt Baru specifically tells Luke to remind his uncle to get a droid that can speak to their vaporators. Why do you need a droid that can communicate with your vaporator? Oh, no. It's like <laughs> something that specific is sentient in a way that you need to communicate with it. Like you can't just turn it on and it works. <laughs> Yeah. The only thing I can think of is that it would be like if I had a droid that could talk to my computer and diagnose what's wrong with it. That would be great, actually. Yeah, it really kind of would have. Really kind of would. Like, if I could just be like, yo, C-3PO, just tell my computer to, you know, stop running all these background apps. Yeah, that would be useful. I thought it was interesting, too. They're, they're moisture farmers, and they, and they, they mention seasons. Like, oh, that's the, you know. You know, the the season's coming up. I need you uh, to stay here. I guess, like, they have a rainy season, and that's when they get most of their water from, you I know, guess. You, you know the harvest is when I need yeah, you the most. Harvest. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, the harvest. <laughs> what, what are you harvesting? And how hard can it be? You have machines, right? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's it, purpose is to harvest the water. What the hell are you doing? I don't know. Like, it legit just seems like, since this is supposed to be the future, this technology just got worse or people got dumber. Like what? Something, something happened. Something happened. And it wasn't all the Empire's fault. I'll say that much. No, it definitely wasn't. No, definitely not. I mean, something definitely happened because like kind of rolling back to that scene that you were talking about earlier, Jordan, where they're in the uh, all the Imperial bigwigs are in the room and Tarkin and Vader come in. Mm hmm. <laughs> the one guy who who actually has a name, I forget what his name is, but the one guy turns to Vader and starts commentating on not using his quote unquote sorceress ways and sad yes. devotion to an ancient. Oh my god! Yeah, 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 yeah. Bro, the time between episode three and episode four is nineteen years. What happened in 19 years that we went from Jedi's everywhere to a sad and ancient religion? It's like it just straight up everybody forgot how powerful and prevalent the Jedi's were. And it's just folklore in only 19 years. The Across the galaxy. The Emperor's propaganda machine is yep. working overtime, dude. Yeah. It's impressive. 100%. Especially when your most well-known fear-inducing figurehead still uses the Force all the time. <laughs> like, there's no, like, remnants of chatter between people who actually have worked with Vader to see this guy do this thing. Or the fact that he decides to use a lightsaber instead of a blaster like every other sane human being in the galaxy. Nah, man. It's a sad and ancient religion that nobody knows about anymore. Mm -hmm. I just did cannot. You, uh, did you catch that uh, Luke's uncle refers to old Ben old Ben Kenobi as a wizard? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah. It's another good point. Fucking wizard. Like, I know. It, it seems like, I don't know if they were just trying to make it as obtuse 
when they were talking about the Force and Jedi, so they didn't pigeonhole themselves for the other movies, or what? But it just seemed like everybody just totally forgot what it was all about, or like how how amazing these individuals were. I mean, to be fair, I think what it is, is when this movie came out, he didn't know that he was going to go back. And like, I don't think he had that lore in his head. And he had a plan for episodes one, two and three and how much time was going to pass between them when he did that. So I think it was natural dialogue. And if you ignore episodes one, two, three, like it doesn't stand out as particularly offensive in any way. But because True. that history exists, now it's like, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, yeah. Doesn't make any yeah. hit. Owen calling Ben an old wizard kind of works for me because, like, if you look at the history of Star Wars and, like, the extended war and shit, apparently Owen never liked Obi Wan Kenobi anyway. And um, he was really critical of Anakin for getting involved in the Clone Wars and all that. Yeah. So, like that that kind of rings true to me that he would say that but for them to call it a sad devotion to an ancient like I was like come on dude like what the f- you had to you should have come up with something to explain that line true and I will say this when you're talking about um him talking about Obi-Wan and calling him a wizard I feel like that gives him more credit if he wanted to discredit him he should have called him like some sort of crazy kook or something along those lines cuz Calling him a wizard means that he does something sorcerous that cannot be explained, even if he's like a fucking hermit. Speaking of Obi-Wan Kenobi, like the line from him that stood out to me the most was when he was like, Obi-Wan, I haven't gone by that name since before you were born. Jesus. I was just sitting there like, well, that's a straight up lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, the, what do you mean you haven't gone by? You saw him be born and you were still clearly Obi-Wan Kenobi at that time. Yep. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was weird that he was – it's hard to tell if he was just being coy or if he legitimately didn't know who R2-D2 was, right? It is because he – that first look that he gives him, like, I don't know that this was intended, but when he looks at R2-D2 the first time, it is kind of a look of familiarity. Like, he knows this droid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then again, to be fair, like R2 units are extremely common, so that could be any number of droids. It doesn't necessarily mean... Yeah, that specific R2 unit, yeah. I thought but was- he does kind of give him a look like, oh, look, it's R2, but I'm not going to tell him that. Yeah, speaking of looks, do you remember when Luke was uh, mentioning the droids' message and information and how the aunt and uncle looked at each other? Like basically, be like when he was talking about uh, old Ben Kenobi, and they were looking at each other. Was like, oh shit, this nigga's starting to put stuff together. Mm-hmm. Like we need to, we need to, we need to shut this down, nip this in the bud yeah. right now. I did not remember that on my first viewing or subsequent viewings until I watched it uh, this week. I kind of got the sense that Uncle Owen really disliked Obi Wan and Anakin and all of them and everything that was going on. And Aunt Beru was just kind of like, hey, you know, boys will be boys. I mean, he just wants to get a little force lightning. It's cool. <laughs> I thought the noise that 
Obi Wan makes to scare away the sand people is so oh jarring. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. And I was watching like, what the fuck it's, is this? It's so much louder than the rest of the scene for whatever reason. It's like I have my headphones on listening. I'm like, ah, oh god. The, the first time that I like when the, that first happened, I was like, man, I thought that that was like the um the bantha or something at first. And I was like, wait, no, these are Jawas. <laughs> they don't, mm-hmm. What the hell is, what was that? He's got like uh, the force manipulation. He can, you know, turn himself into a force ghost and he's got force voice amplification. <laughs> one, one relationship that was never really expanded upon outside of this movie was before he sees Obi-Wan uh, Luke is talking with his aunt and uncle saying that he wants to leave. He wants to go to academy, whatever academy that was. I don't think we ever learned what he originally wanted to do. I but know. I was I was watching that like, is he trying to say he wants to be a stormtrooper? No. I. Oh, wow. That's a really good point. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. But he wanted to go to some academy to learn something or do something. But um, he mentions in a really throwaway line something I did not know. Uh, he mentioned – Biggs, him and Biggs were childhood friends. I, for some reason, had completely forgotten that. Um, and I think it was because the scene where Biggs had like his reunion with Luke on the Rebel base. This is further in the movie, of course. Um, I think that wasn't in, in the original release, like the original trilogy released back in '95. Mm. I think that scene was added later. You know. So I never even realized – I never caught that at all. But then like he never cares about Biggs ever again. They never <laughs> catch up or talk or, hey, how are you doing? It's They never interact ever. Well, I mean in fairness, he he meets up with Biggs right before they take off to go attack the Death Star. And then after that, the movie's just over. Yeah. No, so, I know. But like, like I don't know when that would happen. But like in five or six, mostly six when they're you know going to actually – well, no, he's actually captured during the battle. But – I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Biggs just somehow. I, I believe he's still alive, right? I don't remember Biggs ever dying. In I don't any know. Of the a movies. lot of X wings got blown up, man. Uh, he didn't die in four. <laughs> I think he's still there in six, and I think he somehow survived throughout the newest trilogy too. Well, let's find out. There's a great Star Wars wiki that we can look at real quick. <laughs> oh man, I bet you there's just people frothing at the mouth, refreshing that page to update any erroneous information that is put there. <laughs> oh my god. Did you know Biggs's last name is Darklighter? What? What? <laughs> yeah, that's apparently. A, that's a dope name. Uh, Biggs he died Darklighter? in the Battle of Yavin. Oh, episode 6? No, in episode 4. Oh shit. How the hell did I miss that? I'm surprised I didn't note that down. Oh, I didn't note that either. Uh, yeah, apparently he dies in the Battle of Yavin. Let's wow, see if I thought it tells st- us. Damn. The Battle of Yavin. Well, I guess that the makes Battle sense. That's why they never brought it back up. But then he never even, like, mourned him. He was just like, okay, give me that give me that trophy, bye. The ending's very... Uh, we'll, we'll Luke didn't... Yeah, like, Luke didn't seem to care about really anybody. Dude! He, dude, that scene with his aunt and uncle as skeletons is brutal as hell. Actually, I do remember this. Um, he's the last one that's remaining with Luke as he's making his run for that mm. exhaust port. And he gets taken out by Vader, I think, right? 
by the by Vader and the other two TIE fighters, he gets shot down. Ah, what a I bummer. remember that now. I just didn't even connect the dots that that was yeah, like, death and Luke really like he doesn't give a shit because Who does it, dude. Uh, that was one note that I had made. Like when he goes home, he realizes that the stormtroopers are there on Tatooine and they're going to go to his house, which is an interesting like leap in logic that they're just going to automatically know that they were sold to him on his little moisture farm in the middle of East Jesus nowhere. Didn't think Jawas yeah. kept records like that. Well, maybe they <laughs> yeah, did. Like, like, these Jawas are meticulous business they, people. Yeah. Man. Like they went through the Jawas receipts. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But he goes there and like, First of all, Owen and Baru are on the front porch as scorched skeletons, Brutal. which is like the most macabre scene in the entire franchise. Like, I was watching that like, holy shit, dude. I did not remember it being this violent. But then the, Luke is just kind of like, oh. The editing of that whole section is like, super I guess I'm weird. going to join the rebellion now. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the editing of that going to the Sandcrawler and then Luke realizing, oh my gosh, they're going to know where my aunt and uncle are. He goes there, sees them dead, and then drives back there. It's just kind of a weird – I don't know. The editing of that was weird. There was no moment where Luke like you know, falls to his knees in the sand and you know, no, no emotion whatsoever. He doesn't cry yeah. at all. No, no tears no. whatsoever. He's so quick to just abandon all that he's known and just be like, all right, I'm a wizard. It's almost yeah. like Luke was like, hell yeah, now there's no harvest. <laughs> Legit, he's, he's just been thinking about this the whole time. I was like, I wish they would just, someone just burn them alive and I can just go and join the academy like I wanted. Oh, prayers are answered, let's hey. do this. I thought it was and, weird that um, Obi-Wan, th- their first meeting, backing up a little bit, um, when Luke was at Obi-Wan's cave house thing, whatever. Um, it's a house. Don't don't turn him into a troll. All right. his, his <laughs> He's Adobo, a wizard, sir. He, Obi-Wan was so eager to be like, hey, you, you want to be a Jedi? Hey, here's this lightsaber. It, it's yeah. super cool. Like, he was so eager to get him out of there, which is really contrary to the whole reason he's on Tatooine, which is hiding him. I don't know what became of him. Like he's like, okay, well, you know, you're 19 now, or however old. I think I think 19. And he's like, all right, let's let's get you out of here. You're gonna be a Jedi. Parents are gonna die probably, and we're gonna be out. Wait, did Obi Wan know about Princess Leia? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so if he knew about Princess Leia, I think he was trying to get all everybody together in one one area and like try and like help them figure out how to take down Darth Vader. But, like, again... So I have a couple of problems with this whole scene. Yeah. Like, first of all, again, we're going to use the context from the prequels for a second here, but we know that Obi-Wan is on Tatooine so he can watch over Luke and he's in hiding. Yes. Which is fine. He, He would know where Leia is. He would know who Leia is. All this kind of stuff. Why does Leia know who he is? I have no concept of how or why she would know who obi-wan kenobi is at all her right her her parents so the the actual rulers are of alderaan i don't the kings and queen of alderaan i I'm never not remember sure. what his name is we know yeah. who he is he shows up later definitely mm-hmm. but he um i think it was because you know he was there when obi-wan gave leia to them you know in that scene at the end of episode three so maybe they told her hey 
if you're going to give the plans to anybody, it needs to go to, or if you, not even the plans, I guess if you, if you need help, you can reach out to Obi-Wan, I guess. And they were conveniently over Tatooine, which I don't even know why, why was she even over a Tatooine? I don't even know. It's all weird, dude. Oh, Bail Organa. That's, that's right. Yeah, there we go. Um, but even beyond that, like, okay, we'll just say that Bale told her who Obi-Wan is for no good reason, because God forbid she gives up that information when the Empire is trying to hunt down and murder every last Jedi in the galaxy. That seems like a really <laughs> bad idea, but, you know, we're just going to roll with that. I mean, she's 19 at the time. Teenagers do. Forget it. She knows who he is. Okay, fine. But doesn't Obi-Wan come off kind of manipulative to you in this? Like, he's just kind of like... Look at this sweet ass lightsaber that I've got from your dad. Super, you know how much you want to know who your dad is? He's so eager in front of him, so bad. He's like this close to point, like bringing out a PowerPoint. Like, okay, real quick, ten minute presentation <laughs> of how great the Jedi Order was. You know, he's just trying to get new recruits. Man, you can't blame him. <laughs> it's the first one he's had in nineteen years, I guess. His last one, I, we saw what happened I to that. I actually can blame him because he had one job, which was to <laughs> yeah. protect Luke. And his first reaction is like, hey, dude, you want to just jump in the middle of this fucking space conflict and go right straight away. at the biggest bad guy in the whole galaxy? Into the fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if I was Yoda and I heard that this shit happened, I'm like, Obi-Wan, what the fuck, dude? You had one job. One job. Why is Luke here trying to get training? Yeah. And then, like, my whole thing about, like, how he becomes, like, transcends the level of consciousness and becomes more powerful than Darth Vader can understand. And talking to Luke after the whole battle battle scene, why didn't he do that and just guide Luke from the get? What, why did he have to wait until that point? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, super, it's super weird. But then the other thing that stood out to me is like Luke is kind of dismissive of him at first. He's just like, listen, dude, I can't leave. I got to go farm some moisture. <laughs> Academy, <laughs> but, dude. Yeah, I got to go be- farm some moisture so I can become a stormtrooper or something. Mm-hmm. But I can take you to Moss Eisley. And then later when we get to Moss Eisley, he... Obi-Wan describes it as like the more most wretched hive of scum and villainy in the entire galaxy. And I'm like, why did Luke think this is where he was trying to go? <laughs> is there um, no <laughs> other spaceport or town where he could get out of Dodge? He's got to go to the quote unquote most wretched hive of scum and villainy in the entire galaxy. I mean, it's a desert yeah. planet. There's probably not that many settlements. Also, this scene takes place right after uh, Owen and Baru are scorched skeletons Burned in the alive. sand. And you can actually see Luke give a little bit of a uh, smirk when Obi-Wan says that. I'm like, why is he smiling? Oh, it's super off-putting. Finally, we went from like him being depressed. between like He does give off an air of being upset about the whole thing. Not nearly enough, I would argue, but he does kind of come off that way. But then, like, five seconds later, he's smirking at what he perceives to be a joke? I don't want to miss this this line, um, because we're already at Moss Eisley, but when they first found the, the sand crawler, um, Luke's like, oh my god, sand people did this. And he's like, no, it's not sand people, because they travel single file. And then 
Obi-Wan says only stormtroopers could be this precise with their shooting, and that did not age well at all. Oh, actually. <laughs> to, to be fair, stormtroopers are actually pretty accurate if you watch it. It's just that the main characters all have plot armor. No, no, no. no. They're to not. Build on that, no, to build on that and to side with Jordan, when Han and Luke are in the stormtrooper garb, Luke says verbatim i don't know how they work with these i can't see a damn thing in this helmet yeah okay but we also established just a few minutes later that luke is too small for the stormtrooper outfit so the fact that he can't see doesn't necessarily mean anything i think stormtroopers are perceived as accurate because it's like it's it's a law of averages, you know. If, yeah, I, if I have a thousand stormtroopers, one of them is going to hit what we want them to hit. <laughs> well, to yeah. kind of to kind of come back at that, the very first scene when they bust into the ship, how many rebels died in that firefight with the stormtroopers, and how many stormtroopers died? You are correct about that. Like they're not that bad. Even yeah. if they're not as accurate as Obi-Wan seems to believe that they are, they're still better than the Rebels. True, but also there was a little uh, ineptitude on the Stormtroopers' side, because I remember Han, he ran after them after they opened up uh, <laughs> the door to the Force Gate, or the Force Bridge, the bridge, right? Yeah. And then he's chasing after, basically, like, I think it was, I counted, like, I think, like, six or seven of them. They run away from like three people yeah. and they're like, after they say blast them, they just turn tail and run. And Han's chasing after him, just one guy with a gun and then a Wookiee behind him. And he's going after him and then he turns the corner and then there's the whole like basically armada on the flight deck. My thing that goes to my head is like, there's seven of you with blasters and there's about three or four of them in a closed corridor. Shoot them. You just <laughs> said blast them. Why are you running away? And you're in quote unquote armor too? Which mm-hmm. is use of which stormtrooper armor? I mean, you, you might as well just have paper mache on you. Yeah, I'm basically, not sure what it protects against. Like, I've know. never quite figured that out. It Rain. doesn't protect against blasters. It's the, it's the equivalent of PCV pipe in <laughs> in that era. Like they just got the cheapest materials. Like we got a lot of stormtroopers and everything. This is going to cost a lot. We're just going to have to cut the budget here. We're making a Death Star here. You got to put the money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Speaking of stormtrooper ineptitude, when they're rolling up to Maz Eisley and Obi Wan does the like, these aren't the droids you're looking for. A bit my my thought when I was rewatching this was like, really? No, I know that he's manipulating the captain, but none of the other guys are going to be like, Captain, what what the fuck are you doing? We cle- we clearly hear him. We're <laughs> yeah, like we clearly hear him, and also like we're not even just gonna check that he's not lying to us. Are are you sure about this? <laughs> Maybe let's consider scoping out the droids real quick before we just go. Nah, he seems like a cool guy. He seems like my kind of space wizard. Oh man. Oh, and in the bar, one thing that I did note is uh, when Luke got in the kerfuffle. With that one uh, Cyclops looking dude. Oh, said he, like, did it. Yes. Um, and then Obi-Wan cut off his hand and it, there was like blood and everything everywhere, like ooze. And I'm like, isn't the lightsaber supposed to cauterize its cut? But I mean, in fairness, that's that wasn't established in this movie, clearly. It's a light 
saber. I understand that, but like this is space fantasy, dude. They can do whatever they want. I, I mean, I'm glad they 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 fixed that issue later on, but like that's one thing that kind of stuck out with me, like a little little detail nitpick, I guess. But that's just me being a nerd. You know what stuck out to me was they roll up to Moss Eisley. There's instantaneously a Jawa like scoping out his beer, like mm, this is a sweet ride you got here. I can just get, just get my Land Rover over here. We can roll this bitch out of here. He just shoes him away. He's like, get away. <laughs> like a rodent. He's like, ah, shit. All right. My bad. But if you want to sell it, just hit me up later. All right. I thought it was. Uh, so when they first pull in to Moss Eisley, I don't. I have never liked the CGI. It's really off putting. The only cgi that i actually liked that they put that they include that they included was there's a scene where the speeder is going into the city and they pan up and they show the rest of the city that was actually never in the original cut because they just couldn't they couldn't do that so that was a cool scene that they added but adding the stormtrooper falling off or no the jawa falling off of the of one of their uh one of their mounts and the random banthas and and dewbacks pooping and people stepping in it it's like random shit i never been a fan of that i did not no, like, it does not age well at all i don't think it looks very good but it does add some more it makes it feel it makes it feel more lively like oh this is definitely a port city yeah but I don't know. Like, there's such a ridiculous quality difference between the practical, like, banthas that they have that you see the sand people riding, or um, in the first scene when you see, see the sand people, versus the clearly CG'd other, like, dewbacks and stuff that's in the background. And I forgot the the the, the long necked um, other creature, but I don't know. I mean, nothing's as bad as the job of the hut scene. That's probably the worst one in the entire, uh, yeah. like in this entire part. But I did want to point out before we get there that the bar scene, I didn't realize that the cantina bar sets up like 90% of the Star Wars species that are in the galaxy. It's like most of them that they used for the entire series. You know what's super interesting to me about that is <clears throat> the cantina at Moss Eisley like shows you all these different characters. Like you even see this pig human that tries to pick a fight with Luke because I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see all kinds of different creatures. And yet 99% of the cast are of characters in all of these movies are human. Where the hell are all these other like we have clearly sentient, intelligent, combat capable creatures, and yet none of them are in the Empire in the Imperial Army. None of them work for the rebels really. Like we just never see them. The the video games are better with that, um, honestly. Um but yeah, no, you're right. The movies are really it's there's a lot of inequality, it feels, you know? Like humans definitely seem kind of more dominant in a way in a week i don't know you know what i was thinking about is um i heard somebody else say this and i forget who said it but it really rung true to me it really gives the empire this kind of feeling of prejudice like oh, yeah like they won't let anybody else into this army because you're beneath us there's a lot of parallels to be drawn there yeah True, and I think that also uh, the Empire brought droid prejudice 
throughout the whole galaxy because I've noticed a lot of different factions and different species, they all hate droids, I think because of the Empire has made them in just such a death machine. You know what's funny is that was the other thing I was going to bring up about the cantina is that as soon as they walk in, the the bartender's like, "Hey, hey, we don't serve no droids in here." I'm like, <laughs> "You serve all of these mooks, but the droids are your problem." Mm-hmm. You heard about mm-hmm. droids? Like, I can understand if he was like, "Listen, we don't got any oil in here for these droids to drink," but he's just like, "No, get that droid piece of shit." out of my bar. I'm like, what the fuck? You're cool with this thing? Over- this thing looks like a, a cross between a slug and a snake. And you're good <laughs> with him, but the droids are the... Okay. It was so awkward with Luke at the bar <laughs> when he was ordering the drink. He just tugs the shirt and then he quietly whispers. And honestly, I wouldn't even know that he he said it unless I had subtitles on. He says, I'll have one of those. And then the guy just turns around <laughs> and he gives him something to drink or whatever. It was so awkward. Speaking of droids, though, before I forget about this, mm-hmm. one scene that cracks me up is when Vader goes to interrogate Leia and he brings in the interrogation droid and it's just got this like big needle glued to the yeah. side. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That-, <laughs> that was so it's like uh, that doesn't make it look intimidating. That looks like I'm here for a checkup. It's so broken. And like the, the needle tip itself isn't even straight. It's like it's yeah. it, it looks like it's fallen off the prop a few times. Like just stick it back on. <laughs> well, I mean, it's off center, which was normal for some needles like i've seen that kind of needle before but the actual whole needle itself is not quite straight it's janky so i'm like what in god's name were they thinking with this like (laughs) this droid's not really intimidating guys let's uh just slap a hypodermic needle on there it'll it'll be great oh um it's intimidated so i guess it worked now that we're in the uh, in the uh, cantina, what do we all think about the Han shot first moment that we uh, experienced? Oh, man. So historically, my take on this has kind of been like, I don't care. I just don't. I don't think that this one scene defines Han Solo as a character. And I don't think that changing it does much of anything to change who he is or his motivate or whatever the thousands of arguments that people have for why it's such a bad idea. That said though, if you actually watch the scene, the scene doesn't make sense if Greedo shoots. Because the whole premise is that he's got Han at gunpoint and Han sneakily takes out his blaster to kill him. But if Greedo shoots him at the same time, either these blasters are so slow that he has time to react, or Greedo is just going to kill Han regardless, which is kind of the implication, but like the whole sneakily taking out the blaster thing is a pointless um, buildup that they put in there for a long time. Like they spent a long time in this conversation focusing on him unlatching his blaster holster and sliding it out super casually so that Greedo won't which is impossible given how high on his hip it is. <laughs> like, if Greedo didn't notice him taking out that blaster, he's a straight moron. But regardless, like, they spend all this time on it. So for Greedo to then shoot him in, this, in that same moment, it just doesn't work for me. Um, that's that's my problem with that scene. I would prefer um, if Han just shot first. Uh, the no, Disney shot, period. No the, first. Like, the... the just, period. That's just kind of my take on it now. Like, I just feel like 
making Greedo shoot at all ruins the scene. So it is, and also awkwardly having the little cut where he jerks his head that should snap his neck, but he but he's still alive, and the shot missing him, and uh, I think the Disney Plus version, at, or either the Disney Plus version or some other Blu-ray release before this one added Greedo yelling something in his language, which was before Greedo didn't say anything before Han shot him. It just went to the scene where you saw both of them, and then Han just shot him underneath the table. But they added the yell to basically say, oh, Han was provoked, so that's why he shot first. But then they kind of shot – like they shoot at the same time, but then Han you know, uses his superpower neck uh, to dodge it instantaneously. It's just kind of awkward and unnecessary. It, honestly, the whole – like everybody made way too much of this scene. And like I, I get it. It's like introducing Han Solo, so it's a very pivotal scene and stuff like that. But like, dude, just have him shoot the dude because he's saying he's going to turn him in. Yeah, like that's that's it. You don't need to add they any spent, nuance to it whatsoever. Imagine all the money they've spent redoing this scene or adding little tweaks to it. They've spent probably hundreds of thousands of dollars on 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 edits, on planning, you know, just in hours and then actual, you know, bill, billable work alone. Just leave it the way it was. I don't know why Lucas wanted to change it for the for the special edition release. No what? idea. My thing is, like, how much hubris do you have to have to, after all this time, like, no, I mean, the easiest way would easily just be to take out Greedo shooting thing and just put it back to the way it was. But we're not going to do that. We're just going to find a new way to change it. Because they've changed the scene, like, what, four or five times now? Yeah. Like, it, it, I don't, so dumb. I'm not aware of any, like, Mothers Against Han shooting first campaign. <laughs> There's no, there's no like national campaign that sparked outrage around this scene. It's so it was it's done so awkwardly. Like whose agenda is this? It really sticks out to me because when you watch that cut of the film, when Greedo yells out, it's not translated because it doesn't right. mean anything. They never thought yeah. this out. They just threw a random quote unquote word in there. <laughs> Didn't think it through at all. Didn't think it through at all. Like. Honestly, I think the reason they changed that scene so much is to every time they re-release the movie or get a new cut is to increase sales. That's that's the only thing that makes sense yeah, to me. Yeah, we're talking because about those it. Star Wars fans will buy it no matter what. They want they want to be mad at another change. Just to compare it compare it to the first showing, the first cut that they saw, and explain to everybody why this is bad. Yeah, in, in the next release, I heard they're going to add a cantina scene in the Death Star on Episode Four. <laughs> <laughs> that is something I wondered about. I was like, where? How do they feed all those people? How many people are on the Death Star? That's a whole. Where other, is the cafeteria, dude? That's a whole other <laughs> story. Cafeteria. Like, was it ethical of Luke? To blow the whole thing up yes. and kill right. arguably yes. hundreds of thousands, if not maybe close to a million people. Yes, this is I'm like just, this is like arguing whether or not it's okay to kill Nazis, dude, because they're literally an analog for the Nazi regime. Yeah, yes. but, I'll, but like the second even, one, not so much. 
even even without that, like let's get let's all get it straight. Luke doesn't care about people or lives or anything. He just wants to have fun. <laughs> He's a cold, heartless <laughs> it, monster. It really, like it, none none of that stuff even registers to Luke whatsoever. Like he, the only reason he decided I go to go to Tachi Station. <laughs> the only reason he decided to go like learn to be a Jedi is because he wanted Force power so he can kill people easier. And have more fun, dude. 100%. I, dude, I just realized the actual plot of Star Wars. This entire time, it's just been Luke wanting to go to Academy because in between six and seven, he makes his own Academy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for for other Force users. So it was just the story of a young boy wanting to be a part of an Academy one day. Yeah, and then it didn't it didn't pan out well for him. One of his recruits, <laughs> he just totally gives up on it. So one other thing that I want to bring up about the cantina before we move on to this from this is um, you see a scene before we meet Han Solo and all that where Obi-Wan is talking to Chewbacca about ostensibly about, you know, renting their ship so they can get out of there. But he's talking to Chewbacca. How many people can speak Shiriwook on Tatooine? Why does he know that, dude? Like, there's... If in my mind, like if you think about this realistically, it would be immensely difficult for somebody who speaks English to learn how to speak a language like Shiriwook. It's what it's, all it's, these people yeah. do. It's all yeah. These people do. I never understood how people understood droids uh, or where Han learned, and, and they don't even really explain it in in the movie Solo. Really, how he knows. Uh, the Cereal. the Wookiee language. Yeah, he doesn't really. They don't really go into it too much, but. They must have an incredible education for like like pre K to to twelfth grade, where they're like, "All right, well, <laughs> you're learning a new language every year minimum." I don't know. Yeah, and like they have to like drill that into them. I don't know. I just took it as a fact. Like basically, uh, everybody who talks to Chewie is like how Rocket can understand Groot. That's how I felt about it. Yeah. It's like, it just, it just works. It just works. I, I feel what he's saying, no matter what the grunts are. And I'm just going to tell you it. And it, it, it's, it's usually right. But my problem with that is like Han Solo understanding Chewie is one thing. They spend all this time together. I get that. Yeah. Rock understanding Groot is the same thing. Like they spend all this time together. Like it makes sense that eventually he would learn how to communicate with this guy, with this big yes. tree. Yes. But Obi-Wan has a really loose association with the Wookiees just full stop. Even mm-hmm. including the prequels where he does meet um, some Wookiees, I think. Mm-hmm. He, regardless, he's been on Tatooine for 19 years. You know how bad your ability to retain a language after 19 years is? Especially something you're definitely not... You, you think he's sitting in his little wizard hut like... Yeah. <laughs> what, you, what else do you think he's doing, man? He's got to keep up on it. He's like, I know they're going to need this at some point in time. I got to be ready. Got to be ready. They may I just have... have this feeling through the force that I'm going to need to speak to a Wookiee in about 19 years. Bro, mm-hmm. you don't know. Th- they may have Duolingo and the Star Wars universe. Maybe he's keeping Rosetta fresh with Stone. it. Yeah, Rosetta, Rosetta Stone. Stone. Whipping out that force rosetta stone <laughs> he's, he's he's like he's still got some jedi archives and stuff and some hol- some holocrons and he's just like remembering languages he got bored trying to figure out immortality through the force so now he's just using the force to translate for him okay speaking of that 
why is it only the dark side, quote unquote, is the only side of the force that knows how to like keep immortality or become immortal and delve into like using life force? And they barely, um, they barely know about it too. Like, I, yeah, I think I mean, that's kind of a stretch, especially when you consider that it's only the people who are adept with the light side of the force that can become force ghosts and become like one with the force and live on. Exactly. Yeah, Plagueis. I feel. Go ahead. I was like, Pl- Darth Plagueis came the closest to mm-hmm. it, um, and then Sidious. Well, I actually, as we found out in episode nine. Oh well, apparently Sidious, that Sidious that we saw was a clone, not the original. Yeah, he was. Like, you yeah, saw the leftovers. We, dude, we can, we'll get into that one. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, do I have mm-hmm. thoughts. <laughs> so much stuff. Rough. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so Jabba the Hutt is in this movie, in the special edition. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that at all. I, I saw that scene, and first of all, his uh, the size ratio of Jabba the Hutt to Han Solo was off to me. Didn't seem like yeah, yeah. You're he right. should have been bigger. He yeah. should have been bigger. Yeah, um, I, I do like though how Han just kind of like talks mad shit to Jabba. Like he has no respect for this guy at all. Jabba, or like not even that he doesn't have respect, but he's clearly not afraid of Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, he's not taking any of his threats seriously whatsoever. It's mm-hmm. crazy that like Jabba is kind of like a dawn, you know? Why is he going down there himself, slugging it down to Moss Eisley, which is probably nowhere near his actual base on Tatooine, to to, to find Han himself? You and know then, what? There's probably a map of Tatooine on here. Let's find out how close it is. Oh, Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, uh, that's a it's a hike for any slug, probably. You know, even even, <laughs> even ten feet's probably pretty challenging for him. But Ooh, that scene has that scene has such great history to it because they originally filmed it with a human back in the seventies and they just couldn't ever figure out the practical effects to make it work, so they just cut the yeah. scene out of the original release entirely until '97, which is which is the special editions came back, and then they put oh, Jabba the Hutt in there. So holy shit! <laughs> what Jabba's palace is like on the other side of the planet? Yeah. <laughs> oh, here I'll, I'll send this to you guys so you can see it. But oh, like also, also with that scene, that's the first look at Boba Fett as well yeah which i thought was really interesting like he's literally just standing there he doesn't say anything he doesn't do anything he's just there fake ass well i i never understood like the fanaticism with boba fett since he only had if i remember correctly two lines in the first movie he was introduced well uh, well, maybe three if you count Yeah, and, then, and then just I don't know, like all guys just got just a unanimous erection, and it's just like Boba Fett is the most badass motherfucker I've ever seen. I just honestly, I can tell you as a kid, I just thought he looked really cool. That's why I liked him. I think yes. that's kind of what I think it that became. was most people's experience. That, yeah. That's most of it. Yeah, and I and get he, it. But then like, and, and he's got a badass ship. His ship's pretty badass. His ship is pretty cool. But that's what I mean. And it's like on top of that is like. Yeah, he looks badass, but like as the movies progress, as the whole tri- as the first trilogy was done, like look at his track record. Terrible bounty hunter. Yeah. The worst. That's because he's not a real Mandalorian. True. So mm. get this. I just today I learned 
Jabba's full name is Jabba Desilegic Tiuri, commonly referred to as Jabba the Hutt or simply Jabba, and formally stylized as His Excellency Jabba Desilegic Tiuri of Nalhutta, Eminence of Tatooine. Yeah, oh, okay. and his cool. and his cool. ass is going down to Maz Eisley himself, himself to find Han. And honestly, Han's like, "Oh man, seventeen thousand credits. That'll pay off my debt to to Jabba." Like that doesn't seem like a very large debt, man. It's not for, but for I a think, crime lord of his stature. I really doubt it. Yeah, but in, think, in his defense, his first line is, "Why you gotta fry, poor Greedo?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> But I think that's more like when you become that level of a crime slumlord, it's more about reputation than the actual like Mm -hmm. value of what someone owes you. Like someone owes you $2 and they don't pay you back when you say and people hear about it, they're going to like you lose grip on your power. So I think it was more setting an example. It's like you have this time to give me my money or I have to set an example. People will talk. And I'm going to lose my power hold and grip, and I'm not going to have that happen because your measly ass seventeen thousand dollars is not coming to me. That's a good point. Yeah, and also the uh, the the tail scene. Okay. Can we talk about the tail scene? Yeah. About how Han just steps on his tail, and Jabba's kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, scamp you. Yeah, and, and no. that part that's so freaking rough because it was originally just some burly human they didn't think Jabba was going to be a slug so they had the film they're like wait oh god he walks behind him what are we going to (laughs) do like you just have to put something there had to do something to make it work I guess he casually walks over him that's not accurate though because if you watch that scene he steps up over his tail like that was intentional that they did that yeah. That was not like he happened to walk around him. Like they very intentionally made him step on his tail. I think they did that in post. I don't think that was the original. Like, I think they made him look like he was stepping up. Cause it, like, if you watch the original film of it with the guy, it's very rough footage. It's hard to find. Well, it's not hard to find. You can just YouTube it, but um, it's like spliced together with different cuts and different like found reels of film. It's, he just walks mm-hmm. behind this dude in like some, some random like animal clothing or whatever. Like just Java looks very unimposing. And that's why at the end of that whole interaction, he's like, you're a great human being, you know, or something like that uh, before yeah, he yeah. boards his ship. It's super weird. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very it's, weird line. Yeah. But terrible. all of this can kind of be explained away because Jabba clearly has some affection for Han Solo. Yeah. yeah. He, Han Mibuki. He calls him the best, like his yeah. best runner. So yeah. that's fine. But like for someone who's supposed to be the reason why Han is scared and like that he has all these mercenaries and bounty hunters after him, uh, he should have had a way more imposing introduction. The more I look at this map, the more I realize that this is a map of a planet. So actually, Jabba's palace is pretty close to Mos Eisley. Like I was thinking about it, like them being on. I was thinking of them being on opposite sides of the planet. But if you imagine this as a sphere, then it's actually like right next to it. True. There's. Is there a scale on here? Not really. I don't think but, you'll ever really. I don't think anyone's ever really mapped out what this fantasy oh there's definitely movie. someone out there you are super there's... wrong about that dude like, no, I like for how are they gonna know? 
but how are they – I know. Like this is a good map to give you locations and things that happen and events, but like to actually know, oh, there's actually 100 miles of desert between Luke's moisture farm and where he – and where Moss Eisley is. Like they're never going to know exactly how much. So, how much. a Star Wars fan? You really believe that? To that <laughs> level of esoteric detail – I just gave They'd you have to a make it up. unbelievable story about a space squid, and you really want to ask me if somebody's figured out how far between Java's Palace and Moss Eisley it is? Let's put, this, let's put it this way. There is a person out there who spent the better part of a year to figure out the exact date that Ice Cube was singing about in Today Was a Good Day. <laughs> I'm telling you... If they will do that for a rap song, a really good rap song, for Star Wars, anything is possible. And it's probably been done. I, I, you're right. I should hold my judgments. I should look that oh, up. I, I just went a different route with it. I was like, all right, how far is Moss Eisley from Jabba's Palace? Roughly 80 kilometers. That's it? Yeah. I told right, you. That's not far at all. <laughs> Looking at the map, it's like it's not very far, actually, when you look at this look at this map as a sphere and then i just went well surely jordan is absolutely wrong about this let me just look, at, <laughs> look up how far it is and sure enough is that someone's guess or is there a legit like no there's uh, probably excel sheets and math and like lore excerpts once again, earlier I gave you an excerpt from the Ultimate Star Wars Guide that told you all about a space squid that needed no real explanation and how she's Force-sensitive and baptized Luke. Jesus. Why are you surprised about this? Can we just never mention that again? Oh, dude, just, I'm, I'm never going to forget that. Effort. <laughs> way too much work and effort in something that was so minuscule. It's so good, dude. Um, So... The speaking of like little details and such, like one of the other things I noticed the second time, I didn't notice this when I was watching it on TV, but when I was watching it here on my computer, um, when there are lightsabers and specifically when Obi-Wan is fighting Vader, you can see like the dust coming off of the sticks that are actually behind the lightsaber effects. And it's kind of distracting, actually. Uh I did not notice that. I'm going to watch it and look for that. Yeah. Um, I did notice that. Um, I don't know if it was like a jitter or whatever, but it was always a freeze frame. Like when the lightsaber would actually turn on. Mm. Especially for Obi-Wan's because like it's, I don't know if it's because they changed the color palette or whatever, but like the lightsaber seemed more white than blue. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I know what you so, mean. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That just was really off-putting and, like, totally got caught me off balance when I saw that. Oh, also, like, when they um, when they suck the Falcon into the Death Star, there's a throwaway line where he's like, it seems they've jettisoned the escape pod. When in God's name did they have time to secretly jettison the escape pods? <laughs> no, they're talking about the original design of that ship, how it's supposed to have the escape pod between the two, um, like, front uh, parts of the Millennium Falcon. Like, those ships are – that's where the escape pod goes. And they jettisoned it during Solo, I think, is when they did it. Like when they're trying to escape the random black hole and uh, near Kessel. I, I can't remember exactly when they do it, but 
that is actually kind of explained in a weird way. Okay, but like put taking Solo off the table for a second and just examining this movie for what it is, like you wouldn't know that. Maybe yeah. so. The, my, my my only justification is that George Lucas already knew that that. Sp- Base on the ship was supposed to be an escape pod, and he had some backstory in his head when he wrote that line. You gotta be out of your mind, dude. I don't know. I don't. I don't know, man. They do foreshadow a lot of small things that do come to fruition. Maybe that. I don't know. Maybe he just was really into that, and he just, you know, he had a whole backstory for the Millennium Falcon. Obviously, it's an icon. It, it, it's used in every freaking Star Wars movie, pretty much. So it's it's a mainstay. I think I think George really loves that ship's design. So it wouldn't blow me away if he had a nice little backstory and knew about the escape pod. Okay, so let's roll with that for a second. Riddle me this: Why do they say escape pods <laughs> plural? There's only one. <laughs> I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> saying it's That's the only way you can go with that one. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm giving him the, the benefit of the doubt that maybe he had that you know, precognition to to put that line in there, knowing the, you know the, the backstory of the ship. I might be crazy about this, but am I the only one who feels like the portion of the movie between? I don't know, roughly like when they leave the cantina to when Vader and Obi-Wan meet is kind of like slow. Um, I thought the pacing of the movie overall is actually really good. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Part- like I was never bored, but like it, it feels like the movie is giving you a lot way up front and a lot in the back and the middle just kind of meanders a little bit. Yeah, like some of it seems a little disjointed. There's a lot of scenes with with Obi-Wan just sneaking around and turning switches off and doing like little sneaky Obi-Wan things. Maybe <laughs> which I totally forgot about, by the way, like mm-hmm. I, was, I was watching the movie like when the hell did Obi-Wan become Solid Snake? What the <laughs> hell am I watching? Maybe that slowed it down a little bit. Um, and there's a lot of exposition and a lot of dialogue going on. Um, so I think that's probably one of the slowest parts of the movie. Um, so I think I can understand what you're saying. Also, like. So they leave the um, they leave Tatooine and they come up on where uh, Alderaan is supposed to be because that's where they were supposed to meet Princess Leia. But Vader and Tarkin just kind of blew it up. And it's like, nah, you told us where the rebel base is, but I really want a cool scene where the Death Star gets to blow some shit up. So bye, Alderaan. And then almost immediately thereafter, they just start getting sucked into this moon. That's no moon. (laughs) They followed uh, the TIE fighter for a while, remember? And they're like, where the hell is the TIE fighter going? It's not that long. It's It's like 30 seconds, maybe, that they follow this TIE fighter. Speaking of this this scene, well, a little bit before it when they're traveling. Mm -hmm. Dude, if I was Han Solo, I would not let this freaking 19-year-old kid who's never touched a lightsaber before put on a damn mask and start wielding it in my ship. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine just slicing shit out of the ship and like piercing holes in it? Like, it, <laughs> not a good especially, idea. Especially when you consider that we find out in episode seven that there's like toxic gases and shit underneath that make the ship run and like all this stuff going. But we're just gonna let this kid who doesn't know what the hell he's doing blind himself and wield this lightsaber. Just go to town with his new toy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the second time he's ever touched it, and he's already using the like the training droid. Which where the hell did they even get the training droid from? Did Obi Wan bring it with him somehow? <laughs> Obi Wan's got a lot of things in that cloak, man. We just don't ask questions. Yeah, I guess. 
You guys are sleeping on Obi Wan. He's prepared, man. <laughs> he is. Yeah, he's he's apparently knew all this was gonna happen. Bro, what are you stuffing your face with? <laughs> oh, so you heard that? Um, cheeseburger. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's not so much that I hear you eating it. Silence. I always loved, uh, I always loved the scene where they're escaping Tatooine and they're getting chased by the two, uh, the two star destroyers. And then Han's like, I, he's like, I'll get us out of here. I know a few moves. And then the next scene is just the ship staying perfectly still, moving forward. I also love like how they try and show you that they're moving in space by like bouncing around the cockpit all over the place. I'm like, there's no, there's no air resistance or anything in space. You wouldn't be bouncing around like this. Uh, well, I mean, assuming the ship had its own gravity, which it somehow every ship does, and it's never explained. Then I mean, the the momentum you would still move. I think I think that's accurate. I think he would still move. Even if you move, you wouldn't be moving like that. They're bouncing around like they're riding horses. Dude. You're right. You're, you're right. It's it's definitely it's it's uh probably isn't a one to one exactly. You know, in the seventies, right? Why didn't they know exactly how it would work? It's like they had just sent th- people into space ten years ago or something. So you're saying they had a frame of reference? Uh, I'm saying it wasn't a widely known frame of reference. It had only been ten years since they sent a human into space. God, what? And also, those moon what landing are we videos. To learn in ten years. Well, Jesus. Well, that and of course, it's a movie. They're going to embellish it. And those those moon landing videos are they're boring. You know, they see the astronauts just bouncing around, and it's like it's not exciting to watch. You mean those mass you, propaganda videos? Can you imagine <laughs> talking to George Lucas? Like George, I noticed that uh, in the space fight scenes that the cockpits are bouncing around a little bit like did you ever consider just watching footage of actual astronauts in space and seeing what they was kind of like for them i did but it was real boring man i just said fuck it i'm gonna do whatever i want yeah (laughs) i mean mean, is george lucas Yeah, I was as I was saying, I was like, man, this does sound like something George would say. <laughs> I don't think you could ever like if you start down the, the path of trying to apply real life things like physics and stuff to Star Wars, you're going to hit roadblocks real quick. It's, you know, it, it can't be used as a reference. It's its own separate, isolated fantasy world because it, it doesn't, you know, sound in space is one example. The, the, the TIE fighters screams like it should really just be all silent and it'd be very boring to watch. True. You know, but but that's not fun. So we do wacky things like make it look like they're just getting jostled around on some mechanical bull that they're all riding at one time. So let's just, you know, let's do it. Speaking of things that don't make sense, did anybody else notice that like when they finally get into the Death Star and they land, Vader kind of senses Obi-Wan and goes, nah, fuck it, I'm out of here. Like, straight up turns around and then just walks away. <laughs> Almost like he's afraid. He's like, oh, shit, Obi-Wan's here. God, he's going to talk shit about my legs or something again. I'm out of here, man. It's not like I'm basically a robotic Terminator death machine that knows how to use the Force. I'm going to be afraid of this, like, what is he, like, 75, 87? How old is he? Pretty old. No, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, he's not much older than Vader, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, technically you're right. He isn't much older. He would be like, I think he would be in his 50s at that point, maybe like late late 50s. You're going to guess late 50s? Because I'm going to tell you in just a second. Go Please do, do it. it. Born 57 BBY, so he would be 57 years old. Hey! Oh. All right. Close, 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 close. Yeah, yeah, right on the money, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. So... 
Yeah, it, it, the, that whole exchange is kind of weird. It's like Vader, you know, he has his own agenda separate from the Empire. So I think he kind of just lets these things happen. You know, you can say the ebb and flow of the Force and the influence that it has and yada, yada, yada. But it's kind of weird that he would walk out to the ship. He'd be like, oh, I sense, I sense Obi-Wan. Hmm. It's been 30, you know, it's been 20 years since I've sensed this. Nah, I'm going crazy. I'm going nah, crazy. This. Yeah, it just walks away. Like I would tear that ship apart myself. Go home, Force. You're drunk. Obi Wan's not here. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's like, whoa, deja vu. You guys ever had that? Wow. Woo. Yeah. I need to go sit down. And yet, what does he actually do? He goes to some random corridor, just stands there menacingly, just waiting for him. <laughs> He was actually getting out of the bathroom. He was like, nah, that's just uh, the burrito I ate earlier. I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, this? I always keep my lightsaber out. That's, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how spicy Leia is, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. She is a firecracker, dude. She's, she gives, she got no chill. She's all, she, she's up everyone's ass. Exactly. <laughs> she really is she's immediately talking shit to Luke, to Chewie, to Han. She spares nobody. Yeah, get, the, the get this carpet out of talk, my way. Even the fact that she straight up talks shits about Chewie, and I was just like, I would be scared to say anything malicious to that creature. What's funny, though, is like Chewie gets out of her way. Like even she was like, Ooh, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> This little nineteen-year-old is gonna whip my ass if I don't get out of her way. Watch out! Oh, and meanwhile, meanwhile, Chewie five seconds or uh, like five minutes before that busts into this control room and kills a stormtrooper with one swing. Mm -hmm. Just takes his head off. That um. That part where they break into the prisoner cell for the first time, and they're they're they're, they're dressed as stormtroopers. They bring Chewie in, and they have their lazy responses to to why they're doing it. And it's you know it's kind of comical and kind of works. Um, they then like if you rewatch that scene, they cut every other second or two to them blowing up a different camera. There's like 50 cameras in that room. Yeah, 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 yeah. and. There are cameras nowhere else on the Death Star. No, no one's watching anything else, but in this one room, they have to highlight the 50 cameras they blow up. I thought that scene was a little extensive, yeah. <laughs> it's like, if they had to kill that many cameras, they might as well not shoot any of them. Because... <laughs> By the time they take all of them out, surely somebody will have seen it. <laughs> Someone's sitting there and say, hey, you see these, these guys shooting these cameras? And they're just like switching between each one as they get blown up. Like, hey, look at these idiots. Like 50 of them. Also, why are they? They're really serious about who they put in prison. Like, yeah. oh, shit, hold on. We can't put Fred in prison. Take him out. Take him out. That's a mistake. Yeah. I wasn't notified of this. I'll yeah. Be, I'll, I'll be call and check it in. They're really, they're really hard pressed on protocol. It's like, nope, nope. Got to clear it. You got the right paperwork? Nope. All right. Got to take him back. There's absolutely no reason that a Wookiee should be here, but I don't believe you that he's a prisoner. <laughs> yeah, that scene was, uh, of course, the the you know scene with with uh, Luke going and rescuing Leia, and she being snippy, calling him short for a stormtrooper. I thought it was funny when they finally, when the stormtroopers finally break into that to that the like holding cell, they blow open a little hole and they just funnel through this death yeah. tube and they just fall over each <laughs> yeah. other. Just continue. It's so awkward. But you the worst think, part is they only take out the first guy. Everybody else makes it through fine. <laughs> like, like they're awkwardly stepping over. Like they're the worst freaking soldiers ever. 
You know what kills me about that though is when they when he's explaining to him why the Wookiee is there. He's like, oh, he's a prisoner transfer from whatever other prison block. And the the guy doesn't really question that part of it. Like he's not like that's not a real prison block. Like, did you guys really look out look at the uh, layout of this battle station? So you had a like a line prepared, but you didn't prepare for the rest of this. <laughs> I think they just made up a number and got lucky. Probably. I, I mean. I guess we'll have to go with that. Yeah, I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing else to go off of, right? Yeah, it really isn't. I'm right about that. Yeah, but uh, um, what else? What, what else happened oh, during dude. that part? So, I mean, that's really it for that part. Then they meet Leia, who starts talking shit to everyone, but immediately. immediately somehow, like, ingratiates herself with all of them. Like, she's really rude and kind of an asshole to everybody but they're all just kind of like well except Han Han's like fuck this girl what the hell are you guys talking about nobody talks to me this way he acts realistically like anybody who's out like out there busting their ass risking their life to save someone and this is the thanks they get like I was just like put her back in the cell Meanwhile, Luke's like, I'm on an adventure, saving the princess, man. <laughs> We're going to Academy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. But then, like, <laughs> so, so, like, the next major thing is the fight between Obi-Wan and Vader, right? And it's real wooden, but, I mean, what do you expect? Like, Alec Guinness and um, uh, David Prone are like 50, 60, whenever when this movie is made. Like, they're not bouncing around the room like Yoda anymore. <clears throat> well, I mean, Yoda was 900. But, but, like, the thing that kills me about it is if you watch it, they're going at it. They're going at it. They're like they're fighting each other, right? Then Obi Wan, out of the corner of his eye, sees that Luke can see them, and then he goes, oh, "Okay, now you can kill me," and just like lifts up his lightsaber to get cut down. Like he specifically waited until Luke could see it happen. Yeah, I think that was important, though. I think that like I always thought that was a very smart thing, you know, because he's he's being the martyr. You know, he wants to make sure that it's undeniable he saw Vader kill him and. You know, that would set him down the right path, hopefully, by by experiencing that. So here's my problem. If we take into the context of all of Star Wars, why did Vader turn to the dark side? Because of loss. So Obi-Wan's response to... Because he hated sand. This is... <laughs> his response, like, his, his best friend turned to the dark side because he couldn't deal with losing Padme. And your response is, well, I'm going to put my pupil through the same shit, but I'm going to actually make him lose his friend. Uh, Jesus. There is a there's a whole book we can write off of uh, on the uh, the misgivings of the Jedi religion and their order. Um, but and their motivations. Ancient, ancient religion. I think that oh. I think the main reason was because he loved Padme and he was told that he you know, to not pursue that. He cannot have a relationship. That's the Jedi way. So I think that was, I think, I think honestly the love like of Padme was the number one reason that he turned. Bro, Luke cares more about Obi-Wan's quote unquote death than he cared about Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen. He actually sheds tears and Leia has to comfort him. Yeah. He's just standing there and like, 
about to get shot by everybody because he's so distraught about this. He didn't give two seconds for the people that he's been with for 19 years. Yeah, but hey, he never had a love interest, even up to the most recent ones. So I guess that proves it. If you want to be a Jedi, you got to be celibate. Uh, I mean, it definitely doesn't, but that's a, that's a topic <laughs> for another time. <laughs> Um, so then after that, they bail, they mm-hmm. get back to the rebel base. They look at the plants that they stole. They're like, yeah, we're so great. Oh, but uh, speaking of that, one aesthetic that Star Wars has always had are those damn star charts. How anyone yeah. reads them blows my mind. They're just random blue lines and circles and stuff. I, they've never made sense to me. It's like reading the Matrix, man. You just get it. Oh, my God. <laughs> you you just stare at it for long enough and it works. <laughs> it just comes to you. Um, the uh, what are the notes that I have when they were escaping? They had the "Don't get cocky" line that's been parodied oh, yeah. to death. Oh yeah. Um, and the the brief gross love triangle, like when they were uh, when Han and Luke were in the Millennium Falcon when they when they were escaping, and they were kind of like in a way battling over Leia. Like, oh, what do you think about Leia? And the, ah, he's all right. I don't know. I mean, is it, well, she's kind of cool. Well, I mean, yeah, she's cool. I mean, do you think she ever get with someone like me? And he's like, no. It was a very no. <laughs> weird. I didn't really read into it like that, though. No, I read into it like because uh, Han, when he noticed like Luke had a thing, he was like straight up messing with him, poking the bear. Yeah. Then he got. Like, it's like then he got competitive. You know. Then he's like, "Oh no, yeah. I want her." Then mm. this is kind of a weird, gross triangle. It's gross because you I, learn, you know, eventually. Yeah. Later on. Yeah. Still, like. I, I mean, they just met this chick and they're like all head over. Well, actually, Luke was head over heels when he saw her on the recording. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I never. Luke just kind of. He strikes me as the kind of character who just kind of wants to save the pretty girl, right? He didn't ever really strike me as somebody who was trying to get with that pretty girl. He was just trying to get her out of that bad situation to be the hero. It always struck me as he was trying to get with her directly. Mm. Um. Yeah, because I don't think you see many pretty girls as a mo- moisture farmer. <laughs> if you saw if you saw the array of hey. species that are at Moss Eisley, there's probably not a lot. Hey, man. Aunt Baru was a looker back in the day, all right? She looked better than his uncle, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. You know, what's, you know what's crazy about that? Is like when I was researching this movie, I was like, oh, shit, that actually is his uncle. I always thought that that was just kind of like their cover or something they said, but he actually is related to him as his uncle. Yeah, it's his mother. His no, no, his wait, wait. So actually, like IRL, his, his, the actor's uncle, or he's saying in canon that's his no, uncle in canon in the movie. Okay, 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 okay. Um, yeah, I guess I always assumed that, but I don't know where Owen Lawrence is the son of uh Jesus now I can't remember his name but the woman that uh, Anakin's mom or the, the man <laughs> that Anakin's mom married in the prequels I don't remember that like at that's all. just his son and his wife I don't, I don't remember that yeah that's been a while I, I think remember. that was I think that was episode two right maybe no I think it was three because three is Damn, what's the one where he just kills the entire village? Women, children, everybody. Because he hates oh, sand. Oh, you're talking about Anakin? Yeah. That is definitely two. Definitely two? Definitely two. Well, whatever it is. Like, yeah, like, uh, the point is that he's actually his uncle by blood, which I thought was interesting. Cool. All right. That makes sense. And he would never think to, like, tap that vein. Of, what? Like, oh, you oh I'm talking about Yes, yes. Well, the story that the Emperor gave to him was that they Padme died, died in childbirth. Mm-hmm. Does he even know that his kids are alive? 
No, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And there'd be like after you <clears> turn <throat> to the dark side and became Darth Vader and like the Empire's dealings, like he would have no reason to tap any familial ties. Yeah. Anymore. He doesn't care what Owen Lars is doing. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> arms and moisture. <laughs> the, the 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 Emperor tells Darth Vader. I think in Episode Five, in the next movie, um, there's a brief bout of exposition uh, with the Emperor revealing to Vader that he that's actually his son. Which you would see, you would think that like after all these years, weird. Like, I'm sorry, the fuck you just say? You're telling me now, twenty some years later, that my kids are alive? There would be some emotion or like some lashing out that he would do because like that's the whole reason I came to the dark side. He, my he already got it all. He he already got it all out at the end of three. No, no. <laughs> that's all the closure he needed right there. Mm-mm. That, that hell no. Going back to the rebel base after they escape, I always thought it was such a funny thing that they're in a room full of prof- professional pilots and like generals or whomever for the for the rebels. And the pilot next to Luke is like, that's impossible. We can't shoot it in there. And then Luke flexes hard on this guy. Be like, I used to bullseye <laughs> womp rats in my T-16. Like just shits all over bullseye everyone in the room. Bullseye <laughs> This was this farm boy talking <laughs> shit right now. Yeah. <laughs> They're not much bigger than two meat. By the way, have you seen Womp Rats? Those things are hideous. I would shoot those motherfuckers too. <laughs> I have never, I've actually never seen a picture of Womp Rats. Oh, I can fix that for you. Now. Nope. Looking it up. Oh, God. Those things are awful. Are those its, are those its nipples? What? No. <laughs> those are so. <laughs> It has a picture of a womp rat feeding baby womp rats. Yeah. You know what's crazy about it to me, though, is like they're described as creatures creatures native to Tatooine that are considered pests by local moisture farmers. What? <laughs> what are they in there on the vaporators? Like, <laughs> oh, that's some good water, boys. Probably. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Wouldn't anything that's alive in ta- on Tatooine be a pest by that logic? Oh, and also, you know, something that I re- remember from very early in the movie, when they're on the desert and C-3PO splits up from R2-D2, you see the skeleton of this giant, like, uh, sandworm creature. Remember that? Yeah. I, was that ever brought back in in anything? I'm sure there's some extended books or there's some – I'm sure it's somewhere yeah. um, in Star Wars lore. Not to my knowledge, but I'm positive that somebody be. somewhere has described that exact creature, and we know way more about it than we ever needed to. Excruciating. <laughs> Excru- they even have a name for that particular one, <laughs> and it was also Force-sensitive. When it comes to anything like Star Wars or like Lord of the Rings, just apply it like you do the Rule 34. It'll, it'll, it exists somewhere. <laughs> it exists somewhere. Um, I did appreciate the Biggs reunion scene. You know, just that was very brief, but it was cool. You know, oh, Biggs, you know, th- thought you were going to Academy. Surprise, you're a rebel. <laughs> you know, he didn't say ah, that. That's, that's it my is head a cannon. great dragon. A great of dragon. Course. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a more boring name than I thought they would give it. But at Not least it's, great, it's got dragon in it. It's a pretty rad looking creature, actually. Uh, what, great dragon. What else yeah, happened K-R-A-Y-T. when they're. K R A Y T. 
What else happens at the Rebel base when they go back? Not a whole lot, dude. Like that that's another one of those slow points where really it's just them talking about the Death Star and how they're gonna blow it up and all this But the one thing that really stuck out to me and it happens twice while they're on the Rebel base, is when they wrap up that meeting where they're talking about the Death Star and what their plan is going to be, and Luke flexes that he bullseyes Womp Rats, he closes out his little presentation by saying, may the Force be with you. Yeah. May the Force be with you? I thought this was an ancient religion. What the fuck is going on here? Is this like, bless you now? And then after Han gets his payment and he's loading it up, he says it back to Luke too. That was the other time, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, even Han, who really has not seen anything to convince him of the Force at this point, the ultimate doubter, even Han is saying it. Like, how much of an ancient religion is this actually? Is this just more uh, more M- imperial propaganda calling this ancient religion? It's mostly imperial propaganda. That's what I'd have to, like go by at that point that's the only thing that i can think of like that's the only way it makes sense at this point but that stuck out to me like a sore thumb i was like what the fuck do you mean may the force be with you (laughs) they're just throwing it out there now does that mean the rebellion actually do believe in jedis and force powers and wizardry yes i think that's i think that's always established that they do believe in all of that and i think that that, that was like like their guiding force was that the jedis were always right and they which that ain't true they should embrace terrible well i i know but like that they should embrace you know force users and the light side of the force like they're just more aware of it their teachings and ways of handling conflict (laughs) the way of handling anything really one reason when you When you think about it, they bring Anakin before the Jedi Council to be evaluated, and he's like 11. And they're like, nah, he's too old. We can't train him. Luke is 19, and Obi-Wan's like, nah, it'll be fine. Everything's everything's going to be great. The last time... The last time I did this shit, I, I created the worst Sith Lord that we've seen in a generation. But it'll be fine. But that he's, logic, he's got eight be... years on that guy. Yeah, yeah but, but... the younglings, <laughs> not the younglings. There are no younglings anymore. Oh, got nothing to lose. That... Maybe after all these years, Obi Wan is like, "This is where we've been screwing up. We've been doing it too young. They first need to be set in their ways, and then we teach them." <laughs> <laughs> we have that... to figure out which ones of them are pieces of shit when they go through puberty then we'll know exactly that was one of my other main concerns with episode nine is they never reached a resolution on that either oh, for the love of <laughs> god stop bringing up episode nine i can't handle yeah, it i right can't now. wait i can't wait for that episode that's we're just talking, gonna be- we're talking about the good star wars right now yeah. so I'm, I'm gonna be in a white room to where i can just break stuff while we talk about it we should record <laughs> the podcast in one of those smash rooms you know, yep. like, you have baseball bats and it would just smash everything around us. Um, so I guess the only other thing that happens in this movie is the final battle, which yep. I mean, the only other thing it's like immensely important to the history of Star Wars. But there's I just I don't the thing that kills me about this, other than how we talked about earlier and their absolutely insane attack plan is that not only does Han come back, but he knows what's going on, where Luke is, who to shoot, how to save him, and he's just in the rebel communications. <laughs> the, the Millennium Falcon just tapped into that bitch. Patched in and everything. Ready and waiting. Yeah, that's kind <laughs> of a MacGuffin. 
You know, it just it, it happened because it needed to happen. But is is, is all, almost on the level of Deuce S, Deuce X Machina. <laughs> okay. No, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, I don't think you know what MacGuffin means, man. <laughs> I'm calling you out, Jordan. That's fine. It's you understood what I meant. It's just a I plot did. device. Yes, exactly. Like, but it's so ridiculous that Han would be like, no, nah, you guys are retarded. I'm out of here. And then comes back at the exact right moment in the exact right place. Like Vader's got him in his sights and everything. Yeah. And not only that, but like he shoots down a totally different TIE fighter and Vader's just like, what? <laughs> the other one, the other one it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, he just got a domino effect on the TIE fighters. It's like, Vader picked the worst fighter pilots to come out with him. <laughs> and, and those are like elite TIE fighter pilots, too. Those aren't just anybody. Supposedly, yeah. yeah. Supposedly. I feel like I, I'm just wondering how the Empire kept its stranglehold on the galaxy with such ineptitude in its force. Like, its best, its best units protecting its best asset, and it's just taken out by just, gorilla, like, basically space guerrilla warfare. Yes, strength in numbers, man. That's all it is. There's they they just zerg rush the entire galaxy. I, I bet. And then the other thing that kills me is like Luke is going to use the navigation computer to shoot this thing, and Obi Wan uses the like in his Force ghostness. Mm-hmm, use, mm-hmm. use the Force, Luke. And while that's an iconic line, I'm watching this like you didn't teach him anything what the fuck does that mean yeah yeah of course like he's just supposed to know he went zero to a hundred real quick like the closest thing he came to using the force was using his intuition to block three laser shots while he had a helmet and you want him to put the whole battle on his back with this one shot he's gonna have and say use the force i was like that's just that just seems like poor mentorship to me. He needs to be reported to somebody. Once again, Obi-Wan, you had one job, bro. You had one Obi-Wan job. I always... So this is probably my least favorite section of the movie is the end of it. Like that final 25% because it, it feels really rushed. Yes. It yes. feels yeah. like they, they're like, you know, George Lucas filmed for, you know, two and a half hours of movie. And they're like, we're not putting this in theaters if it's this long. Cut it. And he's like, oh, shit. Uh, okay, well, I need all of this extra you know, backstory and character development, which is golden. He's like, but the end battle, I'm just going to cram it all in. And then the awards, like, then they just give them medals and then end it. It's really, it, it is kind of rushed for me. Yeah, it does. And then cut, cut the credits. Yeah, yeah. Smile. Get it. You get a a medal, and then and then that's it. Uh, oh, something interesting too. In a few well, shots before we before we move on from that, what yeah. one thing that I wanted to mention that I was reading about. Apparently, um, Star Wars took a lot of heat from the Screen Actors Guild or whoever if it was at that time. If it wasn't SAG for not having opening credits, the fact really yeah. So if you look at any older movie, you'll notice that they put a ton of credits at the beginning of the movie. But George Lucas like no, that'll ruin the entire atmosphere of my movie. I'm not doing that. And they took a lot of heat. It for wasn't it. the first movie to ever do that, though, was it? I don't by the seventies. So. It couldn't have been. I don't think so, but it was still commonplace at that time. Okay, that that's interesting. Um, I didn't know that. I mean, if you think about it, like uh, one of the most iconic uh, cinematic scene opening scenes is the James Bond opening credits, mm-hmm. and like you 
now that I think about it and him saying that, it's like it's the best way to have opening credits and also immerse the audience into the into the movie before it even starts. You have to do it like, in an artistic way, yeah. Yeah. And they some movies still do it today, but not many. You'll so, at most you get like top billing type of stuff on Yeah, some movie. some can do it in a very tasteful way and it's 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 Deadpool. awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah, dude, definitely. Oh, we should anyway. One one interesting thing that that you'll see uh, the shots of R two in space on top of the X wing. Mm-hmm. They they look black and white, and that's because they used a blue screen to superimpose the model and everything over. And R 2s blue paint on his on his actual like the dome uh, uh, um, uh, uh, of his body is washed out and removed. So if you if you stop on those frames. You'll see it just looks kind of black and white, but that's because they just didn't think it through and they used blue screen. And after they filmed it, they're like, oh, crap. Well, let's just oh. let's just go with it. You know, <laughs> I thought that's it was kind of cool. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, I, I saw it in another video. I'm not claiming that I found it myself. I saw it obviously in another video, which explained <laughs> it to me. I just, I've just always remembered that. So I always look for it when I rewatch those uh, those films. You know, what I just thought of that um, stuck out to me, too, is like. Luke gives Han a lot of shit for not wanting to fight against the Death Star. Like, he really disparages Han Solo for being like, nah, your plan is stupid. I'm out of here and I'm not about to die. Even though Han is probably the most sane person in that meeting. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, we're talking about um, a rebel group, which, like I said at the top, seems like more of an army than it actually is in this movie Mm -hmm. but regardless they're going up against a battle station that's so large that they thought it was a moon (laughs) yet han solo is an asshole for not wanting to have any part of that yeah uh, you know what even going further back like let's just talk about how the fact luke seems to like create very strong emotional attachments to people he just meets and just totally disregards the people that like raised him his whole life. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really Luke's emotional state is questionable at best. I do like I do like though that how after uh, the they blow up the Death Star and they're like back on um, back on the planet and they're celebrating their whatever. Luke's like, I knew you'd come back on. Did you? Did <laughs> no, you? Know? He did not. You no. definitely didn't. You lying piece of shit. It's like I, I feel like uh, Han Solo's redemption arc within one film was a little bit too fast for my liking because he was introduced as basically like this. Basically, a selfish guy, selfish smuggler who only cared about himself and the the money that he was making and saving his own ass, and then just out of nowhere is like, yeah, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna risk my life on this crazy mission to help these guys. Bro, not only that, but he gets a commendation medal at the end for showing up for five seconds and taking out one ship. Nobody else except him and Luke. No one else got medals. Yeah, you're right. I I think it's more the fact that everyone else died, and then it's just like, oh, these are the only people we can give medals to, so... Chewie didn't get a medal. Chewie got nothing. Chewie got jack shit. 
damn human supremacy. Just as long as Han, Harry Wookie. They don't like this. They don't like their type. Oh, I, <laughs> even the rebellion is prejudiced against Wookies. I thought it was funny when uh, the, that first scene when they walk through the doors to go to the awards ceremony. The guard on the right hand side. I don't know why this stuck out to me when I watched it uh, last, but his helmet's crooked and just looks like a doofus standing there it's the funniest <laughs> thing it just, oh just looks instead so of left shark we got right guard <laughs> that reminds me if you rewatch the movie i think it's the scene where um all the guards are coming into one of the death star prison cells you can see one of the stormtroopers hitting their head on the gate Oh, I think oh, I heard yeah. about that. I, I missed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I missed didn't it, notice but... it this time around, but I've seen that before. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. It's <laughs> it's incredible that they were able to get this movie to be so popular, you know? Like, yeah. if this movie came out nowadays, it would just fail, you know? I don't think it would be anywhere near as popular. One um, thing that really stood out to me, though, that I didn't realize until I rewatched it this time was that you never actually see or hear about the Emperor at all. They mentioned the Emperor once. But Actually, that's, that's true. It. In one of those Imperial meetings, they do mention him, but you definitely never see him. Yeah, you're and right. You, you don't really get a sense of who he is or why he even matters. Even though but, the entire Star Wars nine-part saga is about him, pretty much. It's definitely not. But it definitely isn't. No, it, it, it's definitely not. The sequels don't count. Anyway, um, <laughs> what's interesting to me about that is, like, without any context for the Emperor, you have vader and tarkin and vader just kind of like goes with whatever tarkin says very submissive i noticed that yeah tarkin's like release him and then vader just does it you know yeah he's just like okay (laughs) which is such an interesting power dynamic when when you think about it like without the context of the emperor telling him to follow all of tarkin's orders just like who the fuck is this tarkin guy that even vader is like oh sorry man i didn't mean to choke and kill that guy i know i choked and killed that guy and threw him against the wall you know but this guy is clearly more important they kind of do that again in and uh, in rogue one when um krennic goes to darth vader himself and he's like, I demand that you, you know, you tell Tarkin that he can't take my my battle station. And then he force chokes him again. He's like, don't choke on your ambitions, Admiral. You know, like <laughs> he, he straight up thought he could walk in there and just, you know, lay it on the desk to Vader and go, give me this. He's like, making demands. He learned quick. Yeah, but I mean, it's after this movie, I think it's after this movie, you really get a sense of how the Emperor controls Vader. So it's it makes more sense. After this movie, I think. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it's just like this guy who we won't see again. Like, he's, he's dead. Um, but he had this, like, weird power over Vader. I don't know. It, it really gives you a sense of, like... I think it's because Vader just respected him, you know? Uh, it's a, it, I think it's just a respect thing. Because Tarkin's a badass. He is. Is he? Is he? Yeah. I mean, the, the the movies don't really give you much, but he's got an extensive backstory. More than a him, garbage-dwelling tentacle monster, for sure. Yeah, for him to, like, have it's Vader, like, show him respect and just, like, listen to everything that he says, he has to be somebody. I thought it was random and not, uh, not about this at all, but the medals that they get at the very end, mm-hmm. they are... So, not they, but um, two years ago... 
was either last year or two years ago, um, Disney does their Star Wars marathon weekend, and there's a 5K, a 10K, and there's a full marathon that you can run. And some people do all three because they're insane. And if you do all three, it's called finishing the Kessel Run, and the medals that you get are look identical to the ones that they received. So just a little random fact that was kind of cool yeah I, I i didn't know that i just thought they made up these metal designs and i see people i see people wearing them at disney i think oh that's really cool i didn't know that they modeled them after the medals that they got in in, 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 uh, in a new hope at the end yeah mm-hmm. very neat well that's about all i have for this movie did you guys have any other thoughts that you wanted to lay on the table uh, still holds up great movie i mean it's awesome you know, I, I think it aged really, really well. I mean, yeah, it's a little clunky at certain points, but I think it's still, even today's standard, still a great movie. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with Jordan. Like, it, it was really a great watch. Like, the little things you notice is because of the, in my opinion, the additions and alterations that they did make to the movie and the fact that we're watching it in a different format than what it was originally intended. But, like, I still loved watching it again. And it was still a fun ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say most of my nitpicks are just that. And almost all of them come from knowledge that I have beyond this movie itself. The movie as it is and what for what it is actually holds up quite well, I think. I don't have I have very few issues with the movie just for what it is. Although I will say that when I watched it the second time in a single week, I was like, you know what? I kind of feel like this movie is something to be enjoyed every once in a while, not something to yeah. be enjoyed back to back that quickly. I kind of over and over again. Yeah, yeah I, I, it it was a watch to get through it the second time. Like not bad, but like especially that middle section that I was talking about that feels kind of slow. I was kind of like, yeah, okay, we're sneaking around the Death Star, okay. Uh, yep. Uh, he's a short stormtrooper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely. That's why I usually watch it every, um, you know, five years or so whenever it falls in my lap. But I still say that it's, it's on my, it's on my top five, probably top three of all Star Wars movies. Maybe at the end of this, we can have a retrospective, but, uh, I would definitely put it up there as one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, I'll say like at this point, it's still my favorite Star Wars movie. Of all eleven main Star Wars movies, like this one's still at the top. I don't think I'll be able to say that. I, I don't have that opinion now. Maybe after rewatching all of them, um, I'll, I'll I'll change my mind. But right now, it's it's not my favorite. I don't think most people agree with me actually at this point, at least. But um, I don't know. I've just kind of always felt that way, and I think it holds up the best on its own as a movie. But we'll see. I mean, that's that's another reason that going through these, I think, will be a lot of fun. I'll be able to see if my opinion on that changes and if seeing them all together gives me any context that kind of changes how I feel. Let's check them out. All right. Well, until next week, this has been the One About Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch as Endless Cola. Jordan's a hermit who doesn't want to be found anywhere, so you can <laughs> see him again next week. And, John, do you want anybody to find you anywhere? Hell no. You don't need to find me on anything. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so with that, we'll catch you all next time. See ya. Bye.